2: in NBA free agency, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison here on the Phantom Midday Show. It's something we'll get into a little bit later, but the Brian Windhorst memes are out in full force. Just scroll through my For You page this morning, and you can't go between one or two different NBA free agency rumors without getting hit with the two fingers in the air. What does it mean? You can't, can't go out without being able to find that particular meme. You would hope... That there's less uncertainty and more concrete decision-making by the time the Pacers dive into the breach and make their selections in free agency. But before we get into that portion of the NBA, I want to take a brief look At the upcoming NBA Summer League and just the ramifications that might be at play as we look at what this event is, James, and the type of observations that we would like to see from a Pacers perspective. The Pacers put out their official roster last night for the NBA Summer League. The names that you would expect were there in the likes of Mojave King, as well as Jairus Walker, Andrew Nemhart on there as well, Benedict Matherin listed on there which, I mean, I, I guess if you're really looking into semantics of it, does it surprise you at all to be able to see? We'll start there, I guess. Does it surprise you at all, this isn't uncommon, to see second-year players go out and get some summer league reps. Does it surprise you at all to see Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard, Kendall Brown, to name a few, of players that are of a little bit higher stature, at least in terms of notoriety among the Pacers, to be out there back again in Las Vegas, at least on the roster?
0: No, I would expect them to play one game, and that's Benedict and Andrew Nimhard, and it probably shut him down after that, but it's probably good to have him out there just to at least build some chemistry sure. with the young guys and at least kind of give them some pointers on what they were going through at this time last year because I know last year when they drafted Benedict, he didn't even play in all the games and he was a rookie and so I wouldn't expect him to play very many games. I wouldn't expect the top guys to play very many games either. I mean, Jarris Walker, everyone knows when you cover the NBA, you go to Summer League, it's bustling and everything's humming and it's crowded, it's packed. But as the week goes on, it wanes and, you know, the top players stop playing. A lot of the, you know, big wigs are gone. Scouts start leaving and and it gets to be more of a tryout for the guys who are just trying to find any opportunity to stay in the U.S. at that point, whether it's G League or, you know, two-way contract, something like that. But, you know, I would not say this is... A sign of Benedict being behind or something like that. At the end of the day, they're basketball players. You pay them to hoop, and so go out there and hoop a little bit. You know, the best thing about it is, or at least you hope, that everyone comes out injury-free, and you got a little chemistry going into the season.
2: No Chris Duarte on this roster again. That's not necessarily something controversial, but it's something that we speculated of. Would that be something that would happen in terms of him getting his sea legs back, for lack of a better term, getting more experience across the board, getting ready for? Another season potentially with the Pacers, assuming that's not a player that is on the outs at some point in time this year. And it's not uncommon to see older players participate in the Summer League. Uh, Michael Beasley's done it before. Gary Payton II has done it before. So you've seen players that are in their second, third, or fourth campaigns occasionally dip around in there. But for the most part, it is usually players that are anywhere 23, 24, 25 years old. Isaiah Jackson, as well, another current active Pacer, non rookie edition. Two years of experience behind his belt that is out there in NBA Summer League. I have this bigger conversation on it because news was announced last night and today that Victor Wembanyama will not be a part of the Summer League proceedings that happen before the action out there in Las Vegas. That means that he will not be participating out in the California Summer League. He will only be active once things get going in Las Vegas. And for me, we've seen it the last couple of years where, and this isn't, again, unique to Summer League, but it's just a franchise wanting to be able to take care of their investments, take care of their future face of the franchise, and take care of what they believe is going to one day lead them to a championship and not have a rookie year or worse robbed of them. We've seen Zion Williamson. Again, I understand that Zion's had injuries that have riddled him to this point in time in his career and his inability to stay healthy, but before all that was a red flag against him as it is now. He was in the summer league and got a little banged up there and he immediately got shut down. Chet Holmgren. That was his injury last year at NBA summer league. He wasn't just shut down. He couldn't play anymore and lost the season. Like that stuff like that, albeit rare and as a risk, anytime you go on a basketball court gives teams pause when they are looking at how much playing time do we really want to give to our star players or future star players in a exhibition based league. And more often than not, teams will practice on the side of safety. So I think it's safe to say we are going to get, assuming both sides allow it, the second edition of Scoot Henderson versus Victor Wembanyama. That's supposed to lead off, if I'm not mistaken, the NBA Summer League proceedings, or at least is in prime time, out there in Las Vegas. When you look locally, you look at how the Pacers will play things out with rookies. I agree with you, Ben McMatherin, Andrew Nembhard, Kendall Brown, Isaiah Jackson probably won't be as aggressively utilized as some of the other rookies.
0: Kendall Brown might because of the injury. Could be, sure. But yeah, the and that's what we
2: thought happened with Duarte, right?
0: Exactly. But the other three, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I would bet good money on them not playing the entire summer league, and I would bet money that Benedict and Andrew Nimhard don't play over two games. Seriously.
2: On the Walker side of things, let's just stay with Jairus Walker for a second, and we'll go Ben Shepard as well. We'll go the two first-round selections. These are two pieces that, again, don't carry the same water right now that Victor Wambanyama and Scoot Henderson do, respectively, just to name a few. Not just because of where they're drafted, but with where expectations are in the gap between those two players and guys locally like Walker and Shepard. As you are in the seat of head coach slash GM of Summer League, let's just say, James, how much playing time ideally do you want to have with this group, because you mentioned familiarity, and that won't just happen with the practices, that'll happen with any game time that's there. Never a bad thing to be able to get an early taste of what Matherin, Walker, Nemhard together, Ben Shepard together would look like, as this is ideally core pieces of whatever the Pacers are going to look like in the next two to three years.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a great opportunity for them, and I think it's important, again, to build that stuff on the court, but also off the court. Even last year when I was out there at Summer League, Buddy Hield showed up. Tyrese Halliburton showed up. And these are guys who didn't play, obviously. O'Shea Brissett was there as well. But there's time where you're not always in the gym and you can find time to go to dinner or go, even if it is just working out together, Just things like that where you're able to build more chemistry, camaraderie, and things like that that we might not always see when you're out there actually performing, you know, in Las Vegas. It could be, you know, behind closed doors. And so I think those opportunities are invaluable and something that you really need. Maybe if you were an older team, you know, where you already know who your top dogs are, you know what you've already uh, established, maybe you don't expect you know a lot of your stars to show up or you don't know, put as much F emphasis on this like you obviously want to be developmental with every team in the league but we all know the Pacers are at a spot where they're still really young and they're building their identity they're building who they want to be for example you're not worried about what the Warriors do in summer league right because their core has been there forever and you know if anything you're probably looking at one or two guys probably just one to contribute to the team this upcoming season with actual minutes and actual playing time Whereas with the Pacers, I mean, you look at this roster right now, who they have, I would expect, obviously, Benedict Matherin to get minutes, Andrew Nimhard to get minutes, you know, uh, Jairus Walker to get minutes. There's a good chance that Ben Shepard could at least get some minutes. If he he is as great a shooter as he's shown in college, I would imagine that at some point, even if it's just spot minutes here or there, six minutes, seven minutes, whatever it is, He'll get opportunities. and so again, they're a team that's building and I think that you have to build as early and often as you can.
2: Again, a friendly reminder, couple PSA is here number one and we talked about this earlier in the week with Scott Agnes when he was in here. Do not overreact one way or the other, positively or negatively, to how things go. I realize that's going to fall on deaf ears because I know social media, and it's what it is. <laughs> Jairus Walker could maybe drop 30 in a summer league game, and he's going to be the second coming of the, the projection that he's had as a player comp in Larry Johnson. Okay, I get it. I understand that he's going to have a a 5-7-2 and two game, and people are going to look at him and say, ah, oh, we took a selection on this guy. What's going on? Especially so... In terms of this carryover PSA, I didn't realize that until the Pacers released the schedule yesterday, which is opening Summer League Las Vegas for the Pacers. Indiana Pacers versus the Washington Wizards. That trade is going to be on full display. There's no chance, James. There's going to be any Bilal Koulibaly, uh tweets or memes thrown out there if he has a better performance oh, in a summer league game. Surely there, not. That there's going to be a,
0: like a, a, one of those boxing posters made <laughs> for Bilal and, and, and Jairus <laughs> yeah. where they're face-to-face, and um, like those Creed posters you sure. see in the movies or, or the previews. So, I mean, there's always going to be hot takes after these games. I do want to say this, though, that sometimes you do see flashes of what could be because Benedict Matherin came out and balled mm-hmm. his first game last year. We were all like – is this for real, or is the competition good enough? And then he came out and ball at the beginning of his rookie season, and you're like, okay, this guy's legit. He really is able to slash, get to the rim, do those things that I think would make him pretty special in the NBA. So you want to see some positive signs, but you don't want it to go to a player's head, and obviously it's not going to go to the coaching staff's head because they've been there for forever. So um, I'm excited to see them play, compete, and obviously to see just – what Jairus Walker could mean to this team. I know Kaitlin Cooper talked to us yesterday about his fit, his positional versatility, the little things he does on defense that will make them, I believe, a better defensive team. And then offensively, you know, having some ability to be used in some different actions that would, I think, obviously help um, elevate their offense too, considering who's the engine of the offense, Tyrese Halliburton. So we'll see. I mean, there's a lot that's going to be – dissected a lot of overreactions after those first few games but again i mean we've seen players go out there and crush it in summer league and then have struggled throughout the regular season and then vice versa where they're struggling in summer league and then they come out there and have a great you know start to the rookie season so i wouldn't go too far either way but you do want to see some signs i will say that yeah. like you don't want to see Jairus Walker go out there and just not perform well and you're like oh it doesn't matter like it matters a little bit just not as much as we might think it is and i think it's also a similar case to what we're doing with on the football side when we get to training camp whoa, and whoa, we whoa. lose our minds whoa, with whoa. everything that goes on in training camp. It's never or, or die,
2: snap by snap. I know, and, and that's kind of how on. it is.
0: it's 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 more um, exaggerated, I think, on the NFL side because of. Just the, the attention that's around the NFL. How soon can I trade a but, guy? That's what I want to know. <laughs> but that's the same thing. I just I think the attention that 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 we like we're thirsty for basketball, more basketball. Obviously the WNBA is going on, but with the NBA side, we're thirsty for it. So when we see it, we want to just throw out everything like, oh, this guy's going to be Rookie of the Year. He's going to be First Team All NBA later on in his career. Oh, he's going to win a championship. And so I will say this though, it's a good atmosphere out in Las Vegas, and it is fun when you do have those matchups where you get the top lottery picks going head to head.
2: We've also talked about NBA Summer League being a convention, if you will, for the NBA because it is the time when everybody, of course it happens in other areas like the draft and whatnot, but everybody who's anybody tied to the NBA is out there, in particular front offices, general managers, coaches, and you often see a lot of, if there's a delay on deals for whatever reason, you often see moves that are made even though they're not publicly announced that way you can trace it back to conversations that happen at summer league and that's not something that you're seeing on your television screen if you're watching these games but it is something that you're able to see from a standpoint of okay how did this happen how did this move play out and go from there Uh, pacers get announced that schedule july 8th they'll be against the wizards it's a saturday uh, all these times eastern eight o'clock 8 30 on july 10th It's a Monday against the Magic. Wednesday, July 12th, 730 against the Thunder. Then Friday, July 14th against the Mavericks. We'll set this and then move back on to NBA free agency at large. But for not Benedict Matherin, because I agree with you, it might be a game if that. But Benedict Matherin, take him off the table. When you look at Ben Shepard, you look at Jairus Walker, over under
0: two and a half
2: summer league games.
0: Hmm. I'll, I'll go. I'll probably go over for them. Yeah. Maybe just because you do want to see a little bit more burn from them. But again, if you don't see them, don't freak out. And then I will say this: If there's any like minor injury, yeah, shut at down. all, yeah, it's, it's done. You're, they're done. Yep. So um, sometimes that's a factor. I know. I believe last year Benedict might have had something like some little tiny injury where if it's a regular season game, he probably plays. Right. But any bruise, discoloration, any discomfort, you're done. And so that's another factor where. Even last year, I think the Pacers won a couple of games and they could have had a chance to potentially go on and try to win the Summer League if they had played all their players. But the moment you feel any discomfort or anything, players get shut down. And again, you really want to protect them from any potential injury. So when it comes to the lottery picks, you rarely ever see them play the whole thing out because after you see what you want to see from them as far as competing and their skill set, Two, three games, that's all you're going to get. So I would suggest anyone out there who's traveling to Las Vegas, you know, I wish I could come with you, but get out there early because that's (laughs) when you're going to see the best players. That back end of the week, Jimmy, it gets rough, but it's also cool because you see some of the guys who are really. um, I know you talked about how. The summer league is filled with first, second, and third-year guys. A lot of it is filled with guys who've been playing overseas forever and just trying to get that one shot to latch onto an NBA team. So that's G League vets every now and again, too. Exactly. So that's the other part of it that, as a basketball nerd, I enjoy. But as a casual fan, if you're trying to enjoy some of the games, watch the early ones, go out to the early ones, because those are the ones that are going to have the uh, stars of summer league.
2: I realize that we're in a state now, if you're a Pacers fan, and we're only a couple weeks away from NBA Summer League, that depending on depending on how much uh, free cash you have to play around with, it'd be very difficult to get out to Summer League right now uh, unless you're going to drive. But if you do make that trip or if you're planning on making it at some point in time, I wouldn't say it touches or, or comes close to any of the other like marquee sporting events you could go out to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl or the NCAA tournament opening weekend or anything like that but if you wanted to make a trip to Vegas in general and you're trying to figure out a way to plan it that is maybe more cost efficient summer league games from a ticket standpoint unless it's changed it's all general admission very very obtainable in terms of just getting there and watch as many games as you would like. And then, of course, you're out in Las Vegas. So if you're planning for like a bachelor party weekend or whatever, and you're also big basketball junkies, or even if you're just a fan of basketball in general and have Vegas on your bucket list, something you want to go do, the fun mixture of basketball and, and also everything that Sin City has to offer.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I was out there, it was a great time. It is general admission the last time I was there, so I would suggest that you get there early because <laughs> yeah. the lines are long. <laughs> even for media, I mean, the... You know, well, you know the setup. I forget which one. The, the Thomas and Mack Center is that the big one?
2: Yes, and Thomas they, and Mack is big, and then adjacent building attached is Cox Pavilion.
0: Yeah, Cox Pavilion is actually very small. There's no
2: media entrance. You have to go in the way that exactly. everybody else goes and through.
0: Exactly, and then they're really strict on where the media sits because usually, if you have a media pass, you can kind of just sit down on the media row. It's not a big deal, but that gym is so small yeah. that you know there's media from all over the country, and it really is a a great opportunity to network. And I would say, as a reporter. Just let you all in. I get not on a secret, but a well-known fact is that you go to summer league, not really for summer league. You go to summer league to network. That's where everyone had to, kind oh of yeah. has their hair let down a little bit. You will see a lot of celebrities and things like that. You want to cover the games, but you're really there to network, make sure you're building sources, and just um, really just getting to know people who aren't um, as buttoned up as they usually are. So I enjoy that atmosphere. I'm going to miss it for sure, but um, I definitely think it is a point of excitement for this Pacers team because of what they were able to get in the draft, and then obviously the future you have with Tyrese Halliburton leading the way. Craziest thing that ever
2: happened from a celebrity standpoint while I was out there at Summer League is Las Vegas' own Floyd Mayweather is very big into, of course, any opportunity yeah. to be a part of the sports spotlight <laughs> and I can't remember how many seats it was but I'll never forget it was like a, a last minute rush around the event staff because Floyd was coming and he, he was obviously bringing his boys and he, he wanted to make sure they had finally courtside seats and yeah last minute cash being thrown like it's, it, it is every every type of stereotype of Vegas that you would expect particularly if you have like celebrities arriving last minute it, it is there in full effect yeah I
0: mean I had the same experience last year when Carmelo Anthony pulled up with his son <laughs> his son is, is now I believe might be a junior or senior in high school he's really good look out for him in the future I guess we're getting a little bit older at least for me I'm like man I'm watching Melo and now his son's coming up and LeBron's son is coming up but yeah I had the same experience last year also with Floyd Mayweather I was there, and then I'm, I'm taking pictures of the players, and all of a sudden, you know, you see a lot more security <laughs> when Floyd Mayweather is involved, and, yep. you know, uh, you get a tap on the shoulder, and I'm like, okay, I better listen to this guy, otherwise yeah. I'm going to get hemmed up. So, um, yeah, it is a cool experience for sure. Even saw Jason Tatum show up after the finals lost last year. Yep. That was a big deal for all the fans there, and I think one of the coolest things about it is that for the people who can't afford a score like I was kind of growing up where you don't, can't afford to go to a lot of games regularly – it's an opportunity to potentially see yeah. a lot of, obviously, the the young players, the newcomers, but occasionally a superstar that was just coming because they're a hoop head. They wanted to be there and watch. And so you will have the kids who are freaking out, asking for autographs and things like that. I remember interviewing DeMontis Sabonis one-on-one at Summer League last year, Jimmy, and he's like, all right, if we're going to do this, let's do it on the court because if I go over there, they're going to ask me for autographs. He's like, I'm, I'm going to have to sign every single one. So there was a balance there but again, a very good time out in Vegas.
2: And to James's point, we get it and experience it all the time of how tough it can be for larger families to be able to attend sporting events in today's society. It's still very efficient Summer League and the hardest part is getting out there, but yes, it is possible to be able to experience it in a way that you're not able to the likes of a you know if you're out west like a lakers clippers game or anything like that like it's much more price friendly and efficient from a concession stand standpoint all the way down to wherever you want to sit again with a general mission aspect of it let's switch gears over to the colts jimmy cook james boyd along with eddie garrison here on the fan midday show James, I know that you were unable to and you regretted it deeply, not being able to to be up in Westfield uh, last night with the announcements <laughs> of, uh, of, of training camp dates. Oh, uh, as you've gotten a feel for everything and, and are able to now plan out, okay, here's my point of attack. Any surprises in general with... The layout, it seems pretty standard operating procedure from what we've come accustomed to with the Colts based on the times and the 13, I believe, days open to the public. Yeah, 13 open practices, which get started on July 26th.
0: Yeah, I believe they're a little bit earlier this year. That's the one thing I noticed. I know last year, I want to say that a lot of the practices and training camps started around 11 to 12. Yep. That
3: was because of the circadian rhythm and trying to get everyone in the mode of you know game day throughout which, the course of the preseason
0: yeah I had to catch up to that later because I was just thinking to myself okay like that your clock wasn't right you had, to, yeah, you had to, I mean <laughs> yeah I mean I, I was going just from kidding. an NBA clock which was always kind of all over the place to now have the set schedule where sure. I'm out there when it, the sun is at its peak, I feel like, and I'm just baking. And so, there's a little bit earlier this year. We have some of the, the night practices when it comes to, I believe, the joint practices with the Bears. And so, that'll be obviously an event where people, they want more people to be able to come to. And I'll have to get there really early for that. But, pretty straightforward approach starts July 26th. I'll be out there, get my tan on. I'll have one of those big hats on. People are sending me suggestions. <laughs> they want me to wear we'll cowboy hats We're going to get into that a little things later like too. that. So um, you know again, if you have sunscreen suggestions, hat suggestions, feel free to at me at Twitter on Twitter, Romeoville Kid, and um, I'll make sure to take that in consideration. I'm not, and I'm actually not joking. I went out there last year a little unprepared, and I was uh, burned a little bit and definitely a lot uh, uh, d- darker because of the sun. so uh, I'm excited for it though I want to see. Beyond just the schedule itself, I do want to see how it is run because every coach has their style, their flavor, and so we'll be able to see how those things get broken down. There's going to be plenty of overlap because you can't do too many, you know, crazy things with training camp. But there will be, I'm sure, some Shane Steichen sprinkled, you know, here and there.
2: You were trying to draw the parallels, and I don't fully disagree with you with where expectations should be at out at summer league versus where expectation should be out for training camp. So I'll ask you this because I know your mentions are frequently uh, <laughs> frequently getting jabs left and right, depending on what type of video coverage that you release oh, about the team. Where from your reporting background do you envision more stress <laughs> happening for you? If you were out at Summer League covering Jairus Walker Benedict Matherin or that first sweet, sweet snap of training camp and who's under center?
0: Man, it's definitely the latter. <laughs> it's always going to be the latter. Quarterback to me, is probably the most stressful position in sports in America, because of uh, North American sports, because of how scrutinized that position is, so it's not even close. I mean, I love the Pacers, loved covering them, would do it again in a heartbeat, would do all of it again, even going back to my preps days, but right now, I'm obviously covering the Colts, and that is number one in this state, by far. I mean, there's gonna be... I feel like even a tweet, not even a video, just a tweet about how you know, uh, Anthony Richardson's first throw goes. We'll go. You know, probably get fifty retweets and twenty quote comments and fifty replies as opposed to Jairus Walker like dunking on somebody. And at like,
2: least at least one bookmark. We got to make sure we we know. Oh where yeah, take definitely, gonna gonna be, gonna definitely gonna be definitely
0: So I mean, <laughs> that that comes with it, and I think it's also gonna be fascinating to see how Anthony Richardson responds to the attention because right now you know he's been pretty secluded, I would say, from the general public because of. The practice is they're only open to the media, and we've only been there like once a week. But obviously now with the open training camps, there's going to be people begging for autographs, screaming your name, uh, you know, ooh and on ah with every throw. If you miss one, ah, you know, those types of things. So I want to see how he reacts to the attention that comes with being 21 years old and now the face of the franchise.
2: That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, along with us as well. James, as we look big picture with the NBA, and I know we mentioned yesterday that it's a a debate, at least in our minds, of maybe Kyle Kuzma, maybe Harrison Barnes, maybe the Pacers go a different direction entirely. But as you look at the top of this free agent list, and we mentioned a little bit yesterday, Russell Westbrook's name is there, even though reports the other day were that it's expected that he's going to return to the Clippers. Kyrie Irving's out there, James Harden in all likelihood will be an available free agent. As you look at where the top heaviness, Chris Middleton throw in there as well, what stands out to you the most here before we go to break on where free agency is? I know we're going to get a little bit deeper into that conversation with Connor Latourno here in just a second, specifically what's going on out west with the Warriors. But as you look at the free agency class, what stands out to you the most at this point?
0: I would say, what does James Harden do? That's That's my biggest yeah. thing. I know we talked about it yesterday. I don't think him returning... Makes Philadelphia a championship level team, but they're still in the hunt with him. Yeah, if he leaves, what does that mean for Joel Embiid and his chance to contend for a title? I mean, all last season it was him and Jokic kind of going back and forth for MVP. They're going to be in the thick of things. Jokic got the job done, you didn't, and then you lose your number one running mate potentially to Houston. So that's what I want to see. We've heard reports about, I think Mark Stein reported this, um, and others that. You know, Kyrie Irving is expected to re-sign with the Mavericks, and so that's the biggest, I think the most talented player available who would make the most sense to return there because he's going to get pretty good money there. And then the next best player is James Harden. I get it. He's on the back end of his career. He's not the player he once was, but where does he go? And then also, what does it say about him if he does leave Philly to, in my opinion, basically say, I don't want a championship, Because if you go to Houston, you're not winning anytime soon, and you're probably going to end your career with a lot of money. I mean, I'm not going to knock anybody for getting the money, but we know, you know and I know, listeners know, they will not have a chance to win the championship next year. I'm not
2: going to guarantee that James Harden has a net positive out there in Houston because his career has been up and down at times, but lower expectations, all the money you could hope for at this stage in his career, and... Uh, a young core all around him. Again, yeah, you and I both agree they're not doing anything next year in terms of like having a shot at the Larry O'Brien trophy. Heck, they might not even sniff the playoffs, but it would be fascinating to see with how athletic and raw the Rockets are right now, even though again, they're a bad team on a lot of different levels. They have a ton of talent. Adding James Harden would be an intriguing watch. I don't know what the end result would be, but it would at least pique my interest at a minimum. With Jay's Boyd, I'm Jimmy Cook. We've got a great show for you today. Dustin Apurek to join us at the top of the 1 o'clock hour. Charlotte Carroll will join us at the top of the 2 o'clock hour. George Bremer at 2.30. But we'll turn our attention out west we come back. A lot up in the air with where Draymond Green's future is going to lie. Trace Jackson Davis finds his home out in Golden State. And if there's any ripple effects for what happens with the Warriors with the rest of NBA free agency. Conor Latorno will join us when we come back on the Fan Midday Show.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: Look at that. Amazing song, Push It, for those who can't not hear the music. I want to see Jimmy bust out a move, but he didn't, so I'll bust out one for the people watching on YouTube.
2: (laughs) I I appreciate you doing that for for the folks on
0: YouTube. I got your back always. Now, again, I'm James Boyd, alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, you're listening to 107.5 The Fan, the midday show. We've talked a lot about what the Pacers are doing in the draft, their options for summer league, but this wouldn't be an indie area show without mentioning Trace Jackson-Davis one person who has latest on him and a lot of things out west connor Latorno for san francisco chronicle connor how you doing my man i'm good thanks for having me it's good uh, good to reconnect I know, I was telling them, I was like, wow, Like I kind of go through uh, the people who followed me when I was covering the NBA, and I was like, I'm glad they still follow me, you didn't ditch me, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, the one thing I'll start off with, again, like I alluded to, was Trace Jackson Davis, I know he was one that I believe a lot of Pacers fans wanted, not only because of his ties to the area, but because he could have potentially been a good fit here. We heard from the Pacers GM that it had to be a mutual interest, and it seemed like that was really the case with Golden State. So I know you wrote a piece about him recently. What can you tell us about what the Warriors expect out of him and maybe the benefit of joining a team like that, which has kind of had this knack for developing bigs and, and finding that, that niche role for them?
5: Yeah, I think a lot of times in the NBA, when you're, when you're looking at players, you focus on, what they can't do and i think he's a good example of that i think a lot of people were talking about oh you know he can't shoot the three he can't play more than one position he's basically just an undersized center um okay that's that's fine but there's also a lot he can do he's a very skilled passer Uh, he's a great rebounder really plays within himself has a really nice arsenal of low post moves um, you know, I, I've, been, I've, I've heard him called kind of a poor man's Kavon Looney, and I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. He, he reminds me a lot of what Kavon Looney does for the Warriors, which is exactly why I think the Warriors were drawn to him. Um, you know, they, they're not going to be asking him to do anything he hasn't already done at Indiana. Uh, they want him to come in and basically just eat up some backup center minutes for Cavon. the Warriors, as we all know, um, are in a little bit of a bind financially right now. They're well over the luxury tax. They don't have a, a mid-level exception to go sign a, a rotation caliber player in free agency. So they really needed to be smart about how they built out the back end of their roster and the rotation. And I actually thought that that move late in the draft to flip Patrick Baldwin Jr. for the 57th pick and, and trace jackson davis was really savvy on their part because yes he's the 57th pick but you have work and he's 23 years old you can you can trust him to come in and at least play the occasional meaningful minute uh in the nba as a rookie which is what they're going to ask him to do that's why they gave him a guaranteed contract right away i think it's a phenomenal fit
2: connor looking at the, uh, the sorry the Warriors roster as a whole post NBA draft when you look at the acquisition of shipping Jordan Poole off how much of that was the look of that contract and wanting to get it off the books of where they are financially versus they just didn't see a fit anymore with what Jordan Poole was at this stage of his career
5: there's a lot of layers to that um you know, I think when, when that trade went down, everyone's initial reaction was, what the heck? I mean, Chris Paul on the Warriors? But when you when you take a deeper look at it and really understand all the different ramifications of it, it makes a lot of sense. And the thing with Jordan Poole is the moment he signed that huge contract last October, everyone was like, that feels like an overpay." And even in the, the press conference announcing... His contract extension, Steve Kerr put the onus on Poole and said, okay, yes, he's about to make this kind of money, but he needs to play up to it, and he needs to make certain improvements to his game. He means he needs to be much better defensively. He needs to legitimately warrant meaningful playoff crunch time minutes, and he didn't do any of those things. He regressed last season. He was awful defensively. He was much less efficient offensively. Now, did some of that have to maybe do with what happened with Draymond preseason? Perhaps. Um, and I do think that's another aspect to all of this. You know, talking to people, they, they've been very open about the fact that there was legitimate locker room tension um, around Draymond and Poole created kind of an awkwardness in the locker room. And the, the practical reality is those two probably couldn't coexist long-term. And the Warriors basically decided we're going to go all-in On the guy who was a foundational piece to our dynasty. And unfortunately for Poole, that means he's shipped off to, you know, a rebuilding situation with the Wizards.
2: Where is the dynamic at in terms of, or how quickly, if it's not already put to bed, will the joking dynamics of Chris Paul laughing at Steve Kerr and then giving him a mean mug on the sidelines? Obviously, that's well documented, and you never know how in the moment playoff moment, that type of thing is, or how quickly animosity like that is to be put aside. It appears at least from afar, both parties are, are ready to rock and roll once the season starts, but how quick of a dynamic and what will that role be for Chris Paul out there in golden state? Because when I looked at it on paper and then they add Trace Jackson, Davis, it's like, okay, in a perfect world, potentially you're seeing second unit action with, down the stretch of the season with somebody like if he's able to make that leap, Trace Jackson, Davis and Chris Paul.
5: Yeah, I definitely think they'll they'll get some minutes together. Um, basically, Chris Paul is being brought in to effectively be a better version of Sean Livingston. Um, if you remember, Sean Livingston was a really underrated force behind three NBA titles with the Warriors. You know, he really would come into the game and calm things down. He was a very contrasting style to Steph. Really thrived in the mid-range, was a great passer, saw the floor really well saw the floor really well slowed down the tempo kind of calmed things down and they want they want uh, Chris Paul to come in and basically do those exact same things um, and they since since uh, Sean Livingston left a couple of years ago they've really struggled to find someone like that in the second unit Chris Paul or sorry J- Jordan Poole was basically the antithesis of that as far as the lingering beast that Chris Paul has with various members of the Warriors. You can talk about Steve Curry. You can talk about Draymond Green. You can talk about Steph Curry. Uh, A funny clip kind of reemerged after the trade from a 2020 podcast that Draymond went on where he literally said, I do not like Chris Paul. We do not have a good relationship at all. And so that obviously raises questions. How are they going to coexist on the same team? But um, I think this is just a really mutually beneficial arrangement. You're you're you have a guy in Chris Paul who has never won a title, who's coming in for a chance to win a title. And you have a team in the Warriors who needs what he brings to the table to kind of help them get over the hump here and win another title with Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay. And so, Yeah, it's not maybe an ideal fit in certain ways, but I think they're going to put everything off the side and make it work, or at least try to make it work um, for the betterment of everyone.
0: Connor, when you look at just the landscape out west, though, does this feel like a move where, you know, I know for so long it was about prioritizing, keeping that window open. Do you feel like this was one of those things to just go all in and see if they could squeeze one more championship out of this window?
5: Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, that's they've they've been saying over and over. We're all we're going to go all in on on winning now, and this trade really backed up their words. I mean, it's the ultimate all in move. I mean, you're trading someone in Jordan Poole who just turned twenty four years old, could have at least a couple, you know, future All Star appearances ahead of him, and you're you're mortgaging that uh, as well as draft picks and a couple good young guys for you know, a 38-year-old, well-past-his-prime point guard who's had a recent injury history. Um, you know, like, it's definitely an all-in move. Um, but I think it makes sense. You know, it makes sense, A, because they're a better team next season with Chris Ball than they were with Jordan Poole. Uh, I really think he's going he's gonna to stabilize that second unit. I still think they're a move or two away from being true title contenders next season, but it was – it's a move that's going to make them better next season and then you know after next season he has a non-guaranteed deal you know you can move off that contract you can get some salary cap relief dip under underneath the second uh apron in terms of the the salary cap and you have a lot more flexibility going forward so i thought it made a lot of sense both in the in the short and long terms for the warriors
2: what ultimately winds up happening with draymond green he resigns with the Warriors.
5: Um, I don't I don't think the Warriors would have made this trade unless they were 99% confident that he was coming back. Um, you know, you, the, the Chris Paul move doesn't really mean much if it can't bring Draymond Green back. And so they're going to do everything they can to bring Draymond back. I think they're going to be able to get it done. Um, I expect him to come back on a three-year deal matching up with – Steph Curry's contract um, you know maybe around the 100 mil range Uh, he'll probably get other more money elsewhere there's been a lot of talk about Sacramento going hard at him but I think when push comes to shove he's going to be willing to take a little bit less money to finish things out with the Warriors Um, you know that was one of my big takeaways from the Chris Paul trade was okay this pretty much cements the fact that Draymond's coming
2: back how quick is a deal like that get done? Is this something that is causing a minor backlog in free agency, not just for the Warriors, but other teams that might be pursuing Draymond? Or do you think this is something that is one of the first handful of deals that is announced as free agency period opens?
5: You know, it's hard to say. Um, I do think there, there's already been, you know, unofficial conversations behind the scenes about what a potential contract could be, but. I I would not be surprised if Draymond, you know, tried to leverage uh, his market value a little bit, you know, tried to play the Kings against the Warriors, Uh, a couple other teams that are interested. uh, Like there's been talk about uh, the Lakers and and the the, the Pistons, and there should be at least three or four big suitors for him. So I expect him to to leverage that to try to make as much money as possible with the Warriors, but I do think ultimately – he's going to land with the Warriors. So, yeah, it might, it might be another week or so um, just because just he's kind of playing the game. Um, that's why he wanted to become a free agent, was just to leverage you know, other teams' interest into extracting as much money as possible from the Warriors. It's just good business, um, but I, I really do think he, he knows deep down he's coming back. To the, Warriors.
0: the last one from me, Connor, I know a lot gets made of the Warriors, the drama that they had last season, but The reason why everyone always thinks they have a shot is because they have Steph Curry. So how much do you think he is driven by, I know that Apple TV documentary is going to come out soon, but how much do you think he's driven by kind of being the uh, underdog again? For so long they were the top dog, now they're the underdog. And how much do you think he embraces that to sort of spoil the party here in the next season or so?
5: Yeah, I think I think for all these guys, they're intense competitors. They'll extract motivation wherever they can. So, um, you know, I definitely think that the fact that a lot of people have already eulogized the dynasty is, 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 is incentive for them. Um, and you know, I've covered this team now for seven years, and the most meaningful title run that I covered by far was 2022 because no one expected that team to win the, the NBA title. And for them to kind of come rise from the ashes two years removed from the worst record in the league to win that title just meant so much for them. There's a reason why Steph Curry was literally crying on the court uh, as that final buzzer sounded. And so um, I think that this one, if they're able to win another title this year would mean almost as much just because everyone's already written them off. Um, but, you know, like I said, it'll be really interesting to see what they do the rest of this offseason because I still feel, Like, they're one or two significant moves away from being legit contenders. I don't think Chris Paul is enough, um, given the landscape of the West, given how good the Nuggets are going to be. You know, I I wouldn't be shocked if you see them trade someone like Jonathan Kaminga, who, by the way, the Pacers love. And there's a lot of talk that the Pacers... Have been making a bunch of calls to the Warriors about. Oh man! And and so I would not have uh, I would not be surprised if you saw a deal this summer uh, between the Pacers and Warriors involving Jonathan Kaminga.
2: Oh wow! Sounds like we might have another conversation.
0: Yeah, with Connor that is, at some point. That is quite the cliffhanger <laughs> you leave us with, Connor. We'll get you out of here, but we appreciate that. I'm sure a lot of Pacers fans enjoyed hearing that last bit from you. You take care, and as Jimmy said, I'll be sure to reach out again soon.
2: All right. Thank you. Thanks, Connor.
0: That was Connor Latorno for the San Francisco Chronicle. Obviously, he's got a lot going on over there with Trace Jackson Davis, the Warriors, Steph Curry. But the biggest news that sort of broke mid-show, I'll let one of you guys announce it if you feel like it.
2: Well, I I, I appreciate you pausing it for a second because this is how I wanted to do this. We have an announcement from Adam Schefter on Isaiah Rodgers And it might not be as bad as we thought. We'll take a step aside. Discuss it when we return on the fan.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
2: Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison, along with us behind the ones and twos as well. Breaking news from Adam Schefter on Twitter. A handful of NFL players, including Colts cornerback and kick returner Isaiah Rodgers, we knew a punishment was coming down at some point, are expected to receive season-long suspensions this week for allegedly gambling. Sources tell ESPN that from Adam Schefter. YIT is going to break that it might not be as bad as we thought. This isn't for the Colts necessarily as much as it is Isaiah Rodgers. Because you would think that for Adam Schefter, with any announcement like that of suspensions, he's going to be as specific as possible for what he knows. Now it's not to say that season-long suspension could be longer than that, but if it was going to be a more throw-the-book-at-Isaiah-Rogers-type thing, like he bet against the Colts, and it's an area where the league has to totally lay the hammer down, ban for life, that to me, maybe I'm being too premature with this, Would lead me to think if it's a season long suspension and that's the wording, that it's not that doomsday thought solely for Isaiah Rodgers, not the Colts, but for Isaiah Rodgers and his hopes of an NFL career after this that we thought it could have been. I mean, I've still not great. I'm not saying I'm not trying to paint him as a hero in this. I think we,
0: I, I don't know if I said it here or somewhere else, but my initial thought was that it was always going to be. Initially, a season, mm-hmm. if that was the penalty. And then, if it's anything further, they'll come down the pipe later. I think it would have been kind of unprecedented, really, to potentially suspend a guy or ban him for life, um, not knowing the full extent of what happened. Now, this is just a report, obviously, from Adam Scheffner. Sure. And I'm not saying like his sources are not good or whatever. But I would expect, at least based off what the NFL told us last week, I believe, in the gambling policy Zoom that we were on They want to be transparent. They want to lay down the law. They want people to understand what their thinking was and whatever punishment officially comes down. And so when that does happen, then we'll hear, I believe, more word on, you know, why it was just a year long suspension. Could it be more those types of things? And, you know, the word indefinite is always kind of finicky because people think, oh, it just means oh, you take this this time off and you're good. No, it is obviously you're out for this period of time no matter what, and then you have to apply for reinstatement and, yep. you know, beg for forgiveness, basically.
2: I completely agree with you on that, but I would note that, and again, we're just breaking down Adam Schefter's tweet at this point. Like James said, official details because the league has made it clear they want to be transparent and be as we're not going to tolerate this as possible when applying discipline around the league, but indefinite is not the word in Schefter's tweet. And again, That might be reclarified by an official NFL statement in a couple hours from now, a couple days from now. Maybe that word is utilized in there, but I agree with you. I take that phrasing. If he would have said, for instance, this tweet says are expected to receive indefinite suspensions this week. If that was the tweet, then I'd be worried about, okay, maybe we're talking about multi-year things. The fact that it's season long, I know all we're doing is just dissecting the language of Adam Schefter's tweet. But that's all we have right now in terms of what type of discipline would come down on Isaiah Rodgers. That phrasing, not trying to read too much into it, is interesting to me where, like you, I want to know now what the official statement is from the league whenever that gets released, But you said at some point later this week.
0: Yeah, I would expect, obviously, when it gets leaked, usually the press release or whatever is soon to follow. And again, I think it was always his expectation that – and the precedent was that if you bet on NFL games – in any capacity, you automatically got a year-long suspension. Now, we saw the six games for a few of the Detroit players. That is because they bet on non-NFL games from an NFL facility. Right. So, that's why they got the shorter sentence. But, again, we just don't know the full extent of this just yet. Obviously, this changes things for the Colts. I don't know how much it changes it, like just the news of it, because we all sort of figured. And, again, this is still alleged. I'll wait until the official announcement is released. But – for the most part, we knew this was going to come down the pipeline at some she point. The shoe was going to drop eventually. Exactly. And so now you wonder, are they just going to go all in on being young at the cornerback position? And, and I'm just talking about this upcoming season. I know we'll get into what it means for Isaiah if there is more time tacked onto that. But just for this season in particular, what it means for the Colts, does it mean you just go young and you just say, hey, well, we weren't trying to win that many games anyways. We're just kind of going through this re- tool rephrase re you know rebuild because they don't want to call it that um we'll see but i think that it's obviously a big factor um towards that secondary for sure Part of me believes, based off
3: of the phrasing of the year long suspension, that if he indeed was placing bets involving Colts games, that this tells me it was probably on the Colts and not against yes, correct. the Colts. Yes. Yep. Just for clarification of just like wording of this. Yeah. But I'm interested to see, A, how many total players, because he says a handful. So that could be three, that could be four, that could be five. Um, and what kind of role those players have on their teams.
2: And it's fascinating to me that Rodgers, to this point, is the only name publicly with that new wing or new wave of suspensions because we knew more investigations were going on, but everybody was waiting to see, okay, one of these other names going to come out. Isaiah Rodgers is the first within that, but then it was a subsequent announcement by the NFL that, well, we're going to, We have more players that are potentially facing suspensions as we have our ongoing investigations. So yeah, there's going to be a block of players or a handful of players as Schefter announced. And and just like Eddie had mentioned, and and as I was saying earlier, that to me, why I think it's less bad for Rodgers is if it is just season long, again, we're, we're reading a little bit into the tweet itself, but that would lead me to believe, like Eddie mentioned, that it's not a, he bet against the Colts or he bet to try to throw games, it is either A, he bet on the Colts exclusively, or B, he was betting on NFL games that he could not influence in a negative manner. He was not throwing games or putting the integrity of the league in jeopardy. At least that's my initial takeaway before we get the official NFL statement. Let me yeah. ask
3: you guys this. If there's a bigger fish, like a name, do you think they would have dro- uh, Schefter would have dropped it there? Or... Do you think he would wait until the whole list is real? Because everyone already knew, at least NFL-wise, that Isaiah Rodgers was the guy that was being investigated and there were other players being investigated.
0: Adam, it wouldn't sit on a big name. I don't think anybody would. Um, I think this is probably the only name that he may have gotten. because, And I'm not saying that, again, as a shot to him. I mean this out of respect for him. He's one of the biggest newsbreakers in the world. And usually if there is a name that he can get on the record, he'll he'll do it for a top player, a peripheral player. It doesn't really matter. And so um, I don't think he'll wait for anything. I think it's just you working with the information that you've received through your sources. And then obviously we'll get official word soon enough. I mean, I'll say this for the listeners out there. When I saw Jimmy's face in the middle of our <laughs> uh, conversation with Connor, LaTerno and I'm looking at him and I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? He shows me his phone and I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> like, you know, that that's obviously something that's going to, you know, be important and I would honestly admit that and maybe this is as transparent as I'll be about reporting. I had You know, the rest of my day was sort of planned around writing about what does the training camp schedule look like for, you know, the team or what does that mean for Anthony Richardson? What does that mean for the other players on the team, young guys trying to get reps and things like that? But obviously this takes precedent. And so I'm going to spend literally right now have my laptop open in front of me trying to verify information or at least gather what I can. And then also uh, I'll spend the rest of my day trying to nail some things down myself because obviously this is the more pressing issue at the moment rather than breaking down what's going to happen in, you know, a few weeks. I mean, this is uh, big news and not only because of what it means for the Colts, but what it could mean for the NFL and their stance on player gambling, trying to make an example out of him and others. And also trying to get a handle on this because you don't want this to become a yearly thing, which is it seems like it has become. Maybe this will be the last example or the last time they have to label guys before that message finally gets through everyone's heads. You
2: certainly hope so. We thought Calvin Ridley was going to be the poster child for that and didn't work. Did not play out the way the NFL anticipated it to. More. Season-long suspension to come, but Isaiah Rogers at minimum a part of that group per Adam Schefter. Of course, we'll break anything further as it comes across the wire, and we'll look further at the potential suspensions and what it means for the Colts at the bottom of the one o'clock hour. We're due for a break. Dustin Apirak covers the Indiana Pacers for the Indy Star. We'll get his thoughts on goals for the Pacers free agency, a look ahead to NBA Summer League, and more on the fan. It is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and two. As a reminder, breaking news just about a half hour ago from Adam Schefter. A handful of NFL players, including Colts cornerback and kicker Turner Isaiah Rodgers, are expected to receive season-long suspensions this week for the alleged gambling. Sources tell ESPN. We'll, of course, have more on that as the show rolls on, and if any other Breaking elements to that story, be it the other handful of players, be it more clarity on Isaiah Rogers happen to drop out of the sky. We'll bring that to you as well. We continue back with our Pacers conversation. Joined by Dustin DePirak covers the Pacers for the Indy Star. Dustin, how are you doing today?
6: Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Of course. Thanks as always for making the time for us. Last time we talked to you, it was the final moments. Leading into the NBA draft, and now that next big chess piece to be moved on the NBA calendar is, of course, NBA free agency. Uh, Let's start first with biggest needs remaining for this team. I know you have a piece up on IndyStar.com and in the IndyStar as a whole. Seven players the Pacers could target in NBA free agency. I want to go after that list in a second. But as you look at the needs and the amount of spending power the Pacers have, how quickly, how aggressive do you expect the opening stages of free agency to be for this team?
6: Yeah, I mean, pretty aggressive. I think, you know, a lot of the targets... The you know the one issue is it's going to be difficult to pry them away from their current teams. Most of them seem to still have some interest in maintaining them. Certainly, Portland it seems like really wants to keep Jeremy Grant. Seems like the Lakers want to keep, keep Rui, uh, Rui Hachimura. Uh, it seems I mean the Kings are at least I think starting to talk again to Harrison Barnes. They might let him go and try to swing bigger. Um, but that's going to be a, a tough part of it is, is to get any of them. But I do expect them to be aggressive because they can be, um, just with with the cap space they certainly have enough money to make uh, a big free agent run. They don't have a whole lot of roster space so they can almost put all of their uh, assets, all of their cap room, all of their money uh, into chasing one player, more or less. And so it makes sense for them to, I think, add to the power forward depth. Um, Certainly they obviously addressed that in the draft with Jaris Walker, but it wouldn't be a bad thing to get someone who's a veteran, keep him on, uh, get him on a one or two year, maybe three year contract tops to sort of ease that transition for Walker. So you're not putting him in a position where he has to start right away and you're demanding production from him. Um, I think they could live with throwing him in the fire and just, you know, letting him figure it out for a year, but also I think it could be a little bit easier to get somebody who's more established and sort of more directly fits, uh, you know, what they need at that position. I think there's several guys that would be happy to take that spot. Um, and would we'll be happy to take the money they'd be offering. So they're, they're going to go out and they're going to try. And I think they were obviously pretty aggressive in trying to make trades around the draft. Um, and so I expect them to at least make all of the calls that need to be made and all the offers that need to be made to try to get somebody. Now, if they're going to, are they going to actually land one? You know, again, hard to say because I think there's interesting positions with the situations with each of those guys that they are targeting. And, and again, I think in a lot of cases their current teams are going to want to bring them back. Uh, so They don't know how fast or how quickly they're going to land somebody or, or if they're definitely going to want to get uh, – the more sort of high priced around them, but they're going to be able to make the offer because they do have the room. And I think it's it's more helpful. I think with the new CB able to have the room because those teams that are going to be over the second apron are going to have a hard time making moves.
0: Dustin, I want to get to the fun stuff. When are you leaving for Vegas? <laughs> You know, what are the travel plans, my man? What, what, are you gonna what hotel plans? we staying got, at? Yeah, done
6: today, man. We, we just got our like advisory from uh, Pacers staff yesterday. Tell us directly, okay? How long is camp going to be and all this kind of stuff? And you know, luckily they don't play. Uh, they don't play until the eighth. Uh, so I'm going to get down there the 7th. Uh, I'm not going to try to get down a day early, but I, mean, I am going to try to get down there and check out the Huchafino versus Jackson Davis game on the evening of the 7th and check that out. So, But I think I'm going to go down the 7th. I think come back after two games, I think, is the plan.
0: And I know we talked about it on Twitter yesterday, kind of joking about you know the roster, why are these older guys mm-hmm. on there, how much are they going to play, but... As a beat writer, and, it, and even just covering the team, obviously getting to know Jairus Walker, he had a fantastic piece about him. I encourage people to read that Thank you. on IndyStar.com. Yeah, you got, I got your back, Dustin. I like to read good work when you. I can. But, um, Thank
6: you, my man. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> I will say this, though. What are the expectations? What would you, or not you, what would the team say is a successful trip out there in Vegas? What are some things that they want to see from this young group? And again, I wouldn't expect them to play you know, all four, five, six games that they have in Vegas.
6: Sure, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't expect Matherin, especially Matherin and Nembhardt. I mean, I, I'm i guessing they get maybe one or two. You know, I think they still want to get Isaiah Jackson to work. I mean, that's been a tricky situation for them, just trying to get him to develop. I think they obviously believe that there's a lot of potential there. Certainly, the athleticism is there, the leaping ability and all that. And he's been productive largely on the basis of that. But I think they're, they just constantly want to get that guy minutes. I mean, if he stays longer than the other two, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I would think that they, they're just always trying to get the most out of they can out of him. Obviously they sent him down for, you know, a couple games this season when he when he was seeing a lack of playing in time when they moved Jalen Smith over from the four to the five. They sent him down as a mad Ants for a couple games, and, and he loved it. I mean, he, he got to go down there and do whatever he wanted and came back really refreshed and was really, I think, more effective uh, for the next couple of games after that. And, and ended up having a pretty productive season, but I think they still just want to get him work just because it, it is, it is been tougher to do that uh, than I think they originally expected, so I wouldn't be surprised if those guys were down there for a little bit longer. But obviously, I think you're, you're just trying to create as much chemistry as you can. You know, basically try to get Walker integrated uh, with some guys that, that he's going to be with. Uh, you know, for for several years, for as long as he's under contract with the Pacers, probably. You know, Nem and, and Mather are going to be some guys that he's going to be playing with and playing around. I think they want to sort of start some chemistry there. You know, get get the ball moving on Walker. You know, get the ball moving for Ben Shepard. Uh, you know, just sort of get those guys started and get whatever you can out of them to sort of, again, begin chemistry with some of the returning guys uh, and even with some of the two-way players that are going to be around Just just start getting those guys integrated. I think it's the biggest piece. I mean, obviously, you're not you're not always looking for that much out of that and then obviously checking to see some of these other guys that they've signed and, you know, what they can be for them. You know, even if it's just, you know, are, are, is a guy like a Darius McGee going to be a, a G League guy that they could bring in for the Mad Ants or somebody like that and, and how are they going to sort of shuffle that group? Uh, there's a couple Mad Ants I'm surprised on the roster, Jermaine Samuel's being one of them. Um, but I think it's just sort of just get get a chance to really see sort of their depth, you know, going into their G League roster and, and seeing what all those guys are, are going to be. I mean, you know, it's summer just whatever they can get, they can get.
2: Dustin Apirac with us covers the Pacers for the Indy Star. Dustin, you had a. Post recently on Indy had a good story regarding players the Pacers could target, seven players in fact they could target in the NBA, highlighting their cast base and the young core that could potentially entice free agent potential targets. As you look through your list, Harrison Bard is a mutual name that that we've all talked about on this show. Kyle Kuzma is another one that's on your list. Who do you think would be the best fit? And from just a let you be selfish entertainment standpoint, who do you think would be the most fun free agent target within this young core the Pacers are building?
6: I mean, I think Grant's the best player. Uh, I, I think Grant, all Jeremy Grant all are all all around is the best player. He's got length. He can defend a bunch of positions. You know, he can shoot. He can score. I mean, I think he's he's the most fun player they can add. But it does, sort of everything I read, it seems like Portland wants to sign him, and they clearly do. And so, you know, obviously, he'd, he'd have to want to step away from that. Obviously, it's not like it's not like a restricted free agent situation where, you know, he has to go there if they match uh, the offer. He has the choice to go or to stay. But, I mean, I think he's, he's the best player of the group. Uh, after that, I think it's Barnes probably. Uh, you know, I, I think Barnes would be, A fun ad, obviously. He's a guy that can score on a bunch of levels. He can shoot it. And, you know, he's, you know, he he and and Halliburton created a pretty tight uh, relationship when Halliburton was in Sacramento. I know Barnes was one of the guys that Halliburton made a point to go see uh, when they went to Sacramento this year. I can't remember if Buddy went to see him, too. Buddy's a little, you know. Buddy's a little different, um, but I think that those. He's he's fascinating. I don't know if you want to see anybody. He just told me what what restaurant he went to, um, but I think. I uh, I I know those two are close, and so I think that he'd be a pretty easy fit. He's a veteran. I don't think they they wouldn't have to give him a long term deal, and I think that's one big piece. Is to, you know sign a guy for a scenario where you are sort of leading Walker in, you know, basically you're, you're sort of helping him out, maybe bringing him off the bench, you know, put somebody in position where they can start ahead of Walker and allow Walker to grow a little more organic, more organically. Um, And so I think Barnes is a pretty good fit. I mean, it could feel like a reach for me just because I kind of feel like he wants to go someplace last year. I think he'd like to go to someplace that's closer to being a contender um, or is in a bigger city or in a bigger market. I mean, just, 'cause that's the, that's the sort of personality vibe I get from him, but there's there's the interesting ones, and I think if if they don't if they're not able to go big, I think they can easily you know grab a uh, Grant Williams or George Niang, just to add some depth. Depth. I mean, I don't feel like Boston seems to be, you know, locked in at all to getting Williams. Uh, I don't know that. I think Niang would be an easy one if it's just if it all else fails. That's sort of an easy pickup, and he's a guy that's proven he can shoot it at least at that position. I think he's been on over forty percent for five straight years. It's pretty amazing for a power forward. Um, so that that's what you know. That's kind of where I see it going. It, it seems like Barnes is kind of the safest choice, but I do think out of the guys I mentioned, I think Grant's the best player.
0: I did not hear – did I hear Kyle Kuzma or was that – I said that at the start. Okay, I was yeah, just making yeah. sure. Like, you know how I feel mm-hmm. about Kyle Kuzma I, I in the Pacers uniform. <laughs> I feel like it would be a really good fit. I don't know if he would trade in, he you know –
6: He'd have fun playing basketball. I think that's for sure. Like, Kuzma playing with Halliburton, he would have a good time on the floor. Like, I feel like he's looking for something flashier in terms of city just because he's Kyle. But I feel like from a basketball standpoint, like, Halliburton will put him in a position to chuck it. That's for sure.
0: I think Miles Turner should just show him his closet and be like, this is what I could offer you. In yeah, James has been working a
2: runway <laughs> side gig here for uh, for a pop-up shop potentially Look, with Kyle Kuzma I'm just, and Miles Turner. I'm just
0: telling you, Jimmy, Dustin, you got to think outside the box when you're in India. Right? Right, not not always the most attractive place to come play basketball. So you gotta, you know, a little stay in Elmo, a little window shopping, and you tell them, hey, no, no, no gotta window shop too much. We'll get we'll get the real thing for you, fella. If you come here to Indianapolis, but in all seriousness, I do think the players you mentioned would be good fits for what they're trying to do. Particularly with you know uh, Jeremy Grant. Obviously, I don't know if he's going anywhere just because of the awkwardness going on in Portland right now where they want to try to keep things together but don't want to, you know, fold things in. it. It's kind of a weird situation for them. I think the the Pacers are actually in a way better spot than they are right now, but to kind of pivot away from maybe the free agency targets that could potentially come, we can look at the roster right now. And one player who, again, brings me a lot of intrigue besides Jairus Walker is Ben Shepard. And, and we talked to Kalen Cooper yesterday. I saw some highlights of him, watched him. He's a guy who can really get going. And so how important do you think this uh, summer league is for him to get reps and show that maybe he you know can be a guy who can get some bottom of the rotation minutes just to be sort of that microwave off the bench?
6: Sure. No, absolutely I mean, I think uh it it's definitely going to be a good, I think to show sort of pace of fans what else they got. I mean, I think there was some you know hope that they were going to be able to swing bigger, uh especially being able to move more assets to get higher up in the draft, whether that was ahead of seven or ahead of twenty six but man, they really like this guy uh you know I mean like Chad Buchanan was was saying like that they they've you know scouts have been sort of banging the drum for this guy. Since at least the, the the Valley tournament two years ago, um, and so they really liked him, and, and you know you've seen good highlights. He was really good at the combine, and really since then I think his his you know stock has been you know going up. But I mean he can shoot it, he can defend multiple positions, and I think a, a two things that stand out is he shot forty one point five percent from three, and he was an all Missouri Valley defender, um, and so that's exactly the kind of player you're looking for uh, at these sort of wing positions, whether it's two three guys that are kind of two three combos or three four combos. You know you want somebody that can. defend then multiple spots, you know, can create offense out of defense, and, and that's what Ben Shepard is, I and mean, I think that's what you see on there. Um, so, I, I think it's going to be good, I think, for Pacers fans to see, okay, this is, you know, who they really liked, this is somebody that they really kind of felt was important to get, you know, a reason why maybe they didn't move the 26, um, and you know, again, somebody who can make sort of some intru- you know immediate contributions, uh, you know, coming off the bench, a guy's going to be able to hit some shots and score on occasion, he's got some athleticism, and is going to be able to defend some people. And again, the big thing is, I mean, this team has got to get better on defense, first unit and second unit um, and you know it, it's got to be able to guard people it's got to be able to, to stop some of these bigger more talented wings um, you know they, they were really put a lot on the plates of Andrew Nembhard and Aaron Neesmith last year those guys had to guard the two best players all the time and when they came off the floor I mean they had a hard time guarding people um, you know and, and even when they were on the floor I mean some of their stars you know Halliburton has got to be better on defense buddy has got to be better on defense you know if he's still going to be on the team Matherin has to be better on defense he's certainly got the body for it um, but He was not great uh, as a defensive player this year, and all those guys got to get better. But it it will help to have, you know, some other players that they can rely on uh, to at least some degree uh, to be good defenders on the first and second unit. I think Shepard really helps that as a second unit guy right now, and, you know, given time uh, might be, you know, might end up being better than that. One quick follow
0: up How impressed were you with Andrew Nimhard's defense in particular? I know we talked a lot about what the Pacers are lacking on the defensive end, but Andrew Nimhard, man, he was guarding some of the best players in the world last season and holding his own, and it looks like someone who, in my opinion, could be one of the better backup point guards in the league for years to come and could potentially be a starter on NFL – I'm sorry, not NFL, NBA teams. I'm sorry, getting my leagues messed up here.
6: Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, he was a starter all year, <laughs> you know, most of it. I mean, they probably started 60-some out of 80-something games. Uh, I mean, it was really impressive. I mean, just being asked to, to really step up and guard, um, you know, like obviously that's not optimal. I mean, you're not in an optimal scenario if you're, if you're throwing a rookie on LeBron James and Stephen Curry, but he held, he held his own. I mean, he wasn't great every night. I mean, it's not like he was an all uh, defensive team level player. But he
0: gamed he LeBron James, Dustin. He gamed LeBron James, <laughs> so therefore he is the goat <laughs> of our generation. Yeah, but I'll let you do. continue.
6: <laughs> he gave LeBron problems, man. He gave LeBron problems in L.A., and they were able to win that game on a game-winner by Nemhardt and then he gave Curry major problems. Uh, you know, they obviously did a lot of switching in that uh, game, but in, in Golden State, I mean, I think I want to say Steph was, what, 3 of 17, some, somewhere on those, those lines. You know, again, there were some matchups that he lost, but there were some good ones that he won, and at the very least he was providing uh, – more, you know, more resistant than, you know, any of the other options. Again, he and Neesmith were taking uh, one and two, and that was different depending on, you know, what they liked in certain matchups. But, you know, every night it was those two guys first when you'd see the defensive matchups. Okay, who's Nemhard got? Who, who's Neesmith got? And, and in, in both cases, they were talking, in all cases, they were taking the top two guys uh, who weren't centers at least. And it was, it, it was really impressive. I mean, you, you, Miss when you first look at him, how strong Nemhart is, Uh, and because he's got just—I don't know—the way he's built, the way you look at him, he does. It's like he's—he's bigger than it looks like he is, I guess. And we really get up too close. You're like, wow, he got, dude's got muscles. He does not get pushed around. Um, you know, by like as much as you might think, uh, and so he was able to really hang in there. And you know, LeBron James did not push him around. Uh, he did, he did not go back. Basically, when LeBron tried to back him down, you know, Memhart stuck with it. So it was really impressive, and it and obviously says a lot about the defender he's going to be. Uh, the, the, that's where he started. Now he has a sense of okay, how do you guard the best guys? You know, where do you have to be in position? How do you have to body them up? Um, you know, I think he just learned so much from this year, and you're going to see him get better and better uh, as a defensive player. It's it was. It was really impressive to watch just, again, how many big-time assignments he got and how good he did with them.
2: Dustin DiPierak with us, Pacers beat writer for the Indianapolis Star. Dustin, in the last week, have you given any more thought to Jonathan Kaminga? And the only reason I ask that is because we just had on Conor Laturno, who covers the Warriors for the San Francisco Chronicle, and he made it seem like there could still be traction or, or, or talks, perhaps, with the Pacers and the Warriors centered around – Jonathan Kaminga at some point this offseason. Have you given any more thought to that? And if you haven't, what would that look like if you're if you're examining that on the fly?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think I, it, it, it certainly makes sense, but it's just a question of what it's going to cost them. Um, I mean, I if it would have cost the, the eighth pick in Jairus Walker, I understand why they didn't do it. Um, I, I think that's it, it, it's an interesting scenario. Obviously, I think what you saw him in flashes. For Golden State, I mean, you see a lot of athleticism. Some, there's just a lot of capacity there. I mean, you you don't really know what all he can be yet, Um, but you know, he obviously isn't getting enough of an opportunity in Golden State, Um, and I, I think he has a chance to be a really good player. It's just a question of what the cost is. Uh, Is just what it comes down to, and if I, if, if it would have came, if if, it, if the sticking point uh, for the Pacers not if the sticking point was in the, with the Pacers or the Warriors, but if the sticking point for the Pacers was we didn't want to give up Jarris Walker, we really liked him, we did we we, we we felt like that was too high a cost, then I get it. You know, I, I get it. I, I would have had a hard time making that move, especially as much as they like Walker. You know, guy with a lot of size, a lot of length, that, that has a chance, I think, to be a, a really good player. I don't know how fast it's going to happen, but I mean, I, I see why they look at Jairus Walker and say, say, this is too good of a fit for me to move uh, for Kaminga. I, I get that. And his question is, is he worth Buddy Heald? Is he worth a combination of Buddy Heald and TJ McConnell? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I th- it's, it's close. I mean, I think he's definitely somebody that would be useful for them uh i think you know it's, it's just a question of what does it cost you but i mean i, I think I, I i think he deserves to go someplace else and someplace else where he can make an impact i i, I think you know it, it would be good for the league it'd be good for anybody just watching just to see what that guy can do uh in a real role um and again i i think he has a fit on the court it's just a question of what do you have to give up to get him
0: dustin before we let you go my last question to you is about victor women yamba Obviously, no Wimby to Indy, as I was trying to predict and manifest here a few weeks ago. But in all seriousness, have you carved out the schedule to see or at least looked at it to see, man, can I sneak a peek at this guy? Because when I was there last year, it was definitely a buzz whenever one of the top players came through, Paolo, Keegan Murray, you know, Jaden Ivey. I would expect, obviously, the fanfare to be a lot bigger for a player that is as hyped as him. So do you plan on trying to get in where you fit in and potentially seeing this guy before, you know, tickets and things like that go sky high for whenever he makes his NBA debut?
6: Oh, you better believe it. I mean, I haven't looked to find out when that's going to work, but I'm going to make that work. If I'm there for four days, he's got to play one that's not a direct conflict. So I'm going. Yeah, All right. There's I'm no make, way I'm missing that. I'll <laughs> no make sure, chance I'm missing that. I'll make sure got, to, I mean.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I'll make sure to call Wimby and tell him, hey, my guy's Dustin is coming out there. (laughs) You know, you didn't come to Indiana like you were supposed to with the ping pong balls. So, you know,
6: we'll we'll (laughs) get that worked out. He owes you for that. Exactly. But, no,
0: I'm very curious to see. And, and honestly, I know know you'll be on the ground getting video, getting, you know, uh, a lot of content, obviously, up on IndyStar.com. But I am very curious to see what the fanfare looks like for him because, as you know, it's pretty lax at, you know, the, the draft combine, mm-hmm. at, you know, summer league. But with him, I expect to see, like, black suits everywhere he goes because he's such mm-hmm. a big name. Seriously, so yeah. it'll be fascinating to see. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing this. And I, I think we're all looking at this and saying, man, like, we've just never seen anything like this before. And, and, and you know, I, I don't say, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far to say if he's a bigger prospect than LeBron because I think he, you looked at LeBron and said, like, I have a, you know, I have a sense of what this is going to look like. It seems sustainable. Like I can imagine him being really good for a long time. Obviously, you see a guy that's this long, and you, you you've got to have sort of concerns about injuries. Is he going to be able to hold up? What does you know? What does that body look like after 82 games? You know, is there going to be joint issues? Whatever. You're seeing tall guys uh, go through that throughout the years, but you also watch him do stuff that you've never seen anybody do before. That that just is is new. I mean, to see a guy who's seven five hit these you know crossover step back fadeaway threes. You're like, what? What even is that? Like, where does that even come from? How is that possible? And in, in the put thank he, he had that like he barely jumped <laughs> like he just ran forward caught it put it down like it was nothing and you're just like this is incredible what am I even watching so I mean I I can't wait to see that up close I mean I'm just gonna be just I am looking forward to being totally baffled uh, by what that looks like uh, in front of my face so I, I can't wait to see it uh, and it's just gonna be cool hopefully for years to come I mean hopefully all this works out and hopefully he he becomes every bit as big of a star uh, as as we we think he could be because I mean it's it's just going to be, you know, a, a fun marvel uh, to take in. I, I think if, if he's as good of a player as it seems like he can be, not only seems like he can be, but if he can sustain that, you know, like it, I, I don't want to like put any doubts on what's already there. We've seen him on TV. It's not like you know some of these other European players we've seen over the year, where you get the grainy, grainy footage and you barely know what you're watching. You watch this guy, and you've obviously seen him in Technicolor with him coming back for the Vegas games and everything, and you're like, that's that's real. That's obviously an amazing player that we're watching, and just just hopefully it's uh, it's sustainable. His body can hold up, and, and he can be every bit as spectacular that it looks the way that he can be.
2: Dustin, last thing from me. I know you mentioned Jeremy Grant as a potential target for the Pacers and the interest by the Trailblazers to try to re-sign him. All week, we'll be looking for names that might slow down free agent acquisitions well one name that's not a free agent that could do that is damian lillard how much of the uncertainty and i don't know if turmoil is the right word but this awkward state of will they or won't they with trading damian lillard impact the acquisition of somebody like jeremy grant on the pacers end of things
6: I mean, I think significantly, but it, it, it well, the stuff that I'm reading from, you know, Portland writers, basically, I and mean, this isn't like anything I'm getting uh, that's exclusive sure. to me, but it, it certainly seems that, you know, they've indicated pretty strongly, you know, uh, their general managers, their, their personnel people, you know, and they're on the record stuff after the draft have been pretty clear about wanting to get Grant and feeling like they're going to do that regardless of what happens with Damien and it also from you know the reporting that I've seen come out with Lua so far is that basically Lua is going to sort of sit there and wait to see what they do first um, and say basically okay like you go out into the world and go get me free agents and then I'll tell you what I want after that um it seems to be that you know he he just wants to see some devotion he just wants to see more than anything else that that they still want to be a contender and that they're going to make some pushes and they're going to keep some guys that he likes and goes get some and get some more players that he also likes and so i think that's it doesn't seem like damien is it it doesn't seem like it's a wait and see what lillard is going to do it seems more like lillard is waiting to see what they're going to do to get a better sense of what he wants um and, and his hope and it seems like portland is you know seems to want to keep him. I mean, I, I don't know what would happen if someone just gave them a gargantuan offer, um, and maybe they'd think differently, but it, it seems like they're moving forward as if he's going to stay, and they're trying to give him reason to stay. Um, and it seems like, it, from, from what I can tell, that seems kind of more the order of things, and that that doesn't necessarily hold back, uh, you know, the Grant situation. It, it seems like their process is going to be going forward with making him an offer to try to get him to stay, and it's obviously up to Grant to decide if he wants that. Um, but, you know, it doesn't Seem like they are waiting on Lillard it seems like more Will Lillard is waiting on them and then he will tell them you know after they've made their other pushes how he feels like they did and you know what he wants from there
2: great conversation as always enjoy the rest of free agency or the start of free agency I guess and safe travels out there to Las Vegas Dustin
6: absolutely thanks guys tell uh Charlotte Carroll I said hi when you guys have her on we'll
2: do we'll absolutely do that at Follow on Twitter at doesn't does is a great job covering the Indiana Pacers for the Indianapolis star. And as he outlines those potential free agent names, again, a lot of it, I think, is amplified more by how aggressive the trailblazers end up being in free agency for a name like Grant to retain him. But also it just feels like this. Two people that have dated for a long time that know they need to separate, but that nobody wants to be the bad guy. And I, I don't, maybe ultimately they'll reconcile and Dame will stay there, accepting the fact that, I mean, they can put together almost any roster they want. Barring a seismic trade that shifts the league, there's not a clear pathway to a title there in Portland, even if they were to sign a big name or two in free agency it would have to be a a type of trade that shifts the balance of power somewhere in the league
0: yeah and i believe the only way they could do that is if he gets shipped out like i said last i mean not last night but yesterday afternoon i think that damian lillard is an all-time great talent you can't score 71 points in a basketball game regulation game that is and not be a fantastic player However, I don't think he can be the best player on a championship team. And since you can't go out and trade for that player or acquire that player in free agency, I think the only move for Damien in particular, not the team, but Damien Lillard in particular, to be able to chase a ring is to join a team that has that guy already there and he's the complimentary star so i don't know what that would mean for his future where he could go um i'm not a cap space guru i don't you know want to get into the weeds with that but that's the reality of his situation and also one thing that i want to point out and i saw this on twitter yesterday and i give a lot of credit to people kind of pointing out the obvious sometimes which i believe can go over our heads it's not that simple for Portland to move on from him because he's a great player, but also because he sells tickets too. Let's not forget that owners want to make money and Damian Lillard still brings in yeah. a ton of money in Portland. I mean, Jimmy, it, it, it's, it's you don't want to hear that as a fan sometimes, but as a fan sometimes you do kind of want to go to a game where you have a player that you really enjoy watching and believe in, and that's a factor. He sells tickets, he puts butts in seats, and... Up until recently, he would at least get them to the playoffs. Now, as you stated yesterday, they just—they just not that team anymore. They don't even have, in my opinion, a real shot to win a playoff round anymore. Yeah.
2: I want to discuss more on that
0: long form
2: and, and more on NBA free agency when we come back, and we got to take a break. But there's an interesting angle with that of like the fan thing does matter, but it, it, there's a dynamic that changes here for as long as Damian Lord has been a member of the Trailblazers and the type of bind that. Portland could potentially be in if things go south of these negotiations. There's no thought that they would, but we'll get into that and and the potential ramifications around the league if they did wind up going south between Damian Lillard and Portland as well still to come. Charlotte Carroll covers the New York Giants for the Athletic. We'll get that perspective out east of Saquon Barkley. Franchise tag is on the table for him and the difficulty that is putting pen to paper with that type of one-year assignment via the tag that running backs so often face, and we'll go more big picture on the Colts with George Bremer bottom of the two o'clock hour, the Isaiah Rogers fallout, and the news from Adam Schefter that it is a season-long suspension for him and a handful of other players. That morning we return on the Fan Midday Show.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: Adam Schefter announced about an hour ago Isaiah Rogers facing a season-long suspension along with a handful of other NFL players in that either partially... Cryptic or perhaps yet to be released names that could be a part of that list. We were in that discussion a little bit earlier of, well, does it mean there's another big name? But Schefter is so consistent. He, he and Ian Rappaport are always on top of NFL news. If it was a big name, wouldn't that leak already? Maybe the NFL is being very careful with this. It's something we'll continue to monitor as the day and the rest of the week goes on, because again, he mentioned that it should be announced officially a little bit later this week by the NFL. But as we look at that ripple effect potentially that could arise with Damian Lord and if the Pacers are, are charting somebody like Jeremy Grant and are trying to find, again, an additional piece or another additional body or wing that would be not only a complimentary piece, but if you're looking at somebody like Grant or if they were to go trade for Jonathan Kaminga, those are both varying prospects that are going to be able to develop into or or plug and play right away for what you want but it takes us back to Damian Lillard which is that you're right you brought this up before we went to break about season tickets matter revenue matters the star power matters but that's not something that in my mind is getting brought up at any point in time in these conversations between ownership and Damian Lillard oh no and the reason I say that is because the second that gets said (laughs) That's where the conversations go completely south, because Damian Lillard, you and I are both in agreement on this, is the poster child of has done everything for the city and the franchise that drafted him, has given his all to that team. There is not going to be, maybe there'd be some frustrated fans in Portland, but there would not be a large national outcry if Damian Lillard forces his way out. Of Portland and that is to say that this is another perfect scenario where even though a lot of people want to point to oh well he signed that big contract and all the team has to do is say oh no we're not going to trade you the Pandora's box of that happening in professional sports, especially the NBA, was opened a long time ago.
0: Yeah, it, it won't happen in the NBA. If this was the NFL, again, you have way more leverage if you're ownership, if you're yep. the team. But it is a players league in the NBA. I mean, every time we see a contract, we're like, there's no way they could trade that contract. There's no way they'll move off of that. Chris Paul, trade it. Bradley Beal, traded. Yep. I mean, Kevin Durant, trade it. So, like, these are all opportunities where – Kyrie Irving traded. So again, I'm. Let's go through my list. It's a players' league, so I do think that at some point the rubber has to meet the road, Jimmy. I mean, what are we doing here? This feels like, and it's not you, it's me. No, no, it's, it's what not it is. you, it's me. Yeah, over and over again, and it's it's a very toxic cycle, if I can use that word, and that's that's a fancy word that people always want to use on Twitter for relationships to describe things. It is very toxic. Yeah. I feel like this is not going anywhere. They're running in quicksand, and it just seems like the longer you wait, and I don't think you. I think you should wait now, obviously, to see kind of how the free agency. Market it makes goes. sense for Lillard to be like, "Yes, I right. want to see what moves you try to make." To keep but me here. after this, like wave of free agency, after that, I do think it'll be basically like running in quicksand, where the longer you wait, the more detrimental it becomes for both sides. And so, I don't know, man. I'm. I'm sort of off of that topic just because we have to kind of wait and see. But to me, if the decision is not to move on from him, then it's a non-story to me. Like it'll never be officially a non-story because of a superstar of this league. However, if they don't move him, in my mind, I'm like, okay, they're not winning anything. So what are we talking about? I would pick Golden State to beat them in the playoff series right now. Now I would expect, obviously, the Denver to be there, the Lakers to be there, there's teams that are already established and have a clear path towards at least contending, not even for a championship, but just winning a couple rounds in the playoffs. Well, it's
2: not even a matter of them getting there at this point. It's would they even make it there? Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying no, that, that's a serious question. That that's impossible when you just add Scoot Henderson, and you run it backwards, Jeremy Grant. But this is still a team that, for everything of, of that star pull for Damian Lillard won 33 games last year and again i know there's a number of different factors that need to be said with that but yeah this is not a team that again
0: unless there's some seismic move jimmy would shift the power of how you view them in the west he had the best year of his career averaged 32 points a game shot 46 percent from yep. the field i believe a career high in assist scored 71 points in a game and it didn't matter no it was it was a cliff note for the season And honestly, it got to the point where, you know what it reminds me? It reminds me of those years when the Lakers were just awful and Kobe was just putting up 40 and 50. In in every game, you just tune in because you want to see Kobe go off. Because you're like, okay, well, they're probably going to lose, but Kobe's going to score 45, and it'll be entertaining to see him just dominate. But we all know you can drag them to the playoffs, maybe. I wouldn't put that past Dame as a possibility, especially with the play-in now. Yeah. Maybe he drags them there, but to say they have a chance of winning... They were seven be, games back of the chance, five. Yeah, spot. I mean, but to but to say that they would have a chance because they drafted Scoot, I mean, I love Scoot as a prospect. I think he's going to be a great player one day in this league, but, I mean, it, it's going to be tough sledding out West. I mean, at least they don't have Scoot saying, you know, what Brandon Miller says where he's like, I expect... The, charlotte Hornets to be in the finals next year that's what i see and i'm like oh baby these quotes from you keep getting worse and worse my friend so we will see and and, and, and I, even a team that people joke about them because every year around winning time they're hurt the clippers i mean and just hear me out jimmy i'm not saying they're going to win a championship sure. by any means yeah but they're a playoff team yep. they'll, they'll probably make the playoffs yep. and that's one less spot for portland so i mean it's It's very interesting to see what they do because it just feels stale out there. And I get it. If you want to stay loyal to them, that is totally fine. But it is, in my opinion, a difference in the way we look at his career because we will look back and say he never really had a shot. Even with Allen Iverson, and and I love Allen Iverson, my favorite player ever, he got to the finals. And they went up against the greatest team, one of the greatest teams ever. (laughs) Won one game. was very much David versus Goliath. But you got there. Carl Malone, John Stockton, they got there. Charles Barkley got there. You know, some of these teams, you know, Reggie Miller, the state's great here in Indiana. They got there. They had a chance. Portland, both examples got
2: <laughs> Got bounced by the Lakers. I mean, but yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not undercutting that. It's just it's you mentioned uh, two great solo. Acts I will never there and,
0: fault Reggie Miller for losing to the Lakers. Oh, no, no,
2: neither I Again, you know, not a knock on Al Iverson, not a knock on Reggie Miller. It's just it. It, it talks about I just mean, that era of dominance. We're
0: talking about just in a vacuum, yep. Yep. best player you want on your team yep. is. I mean, how many people are going to pick Shaq? I mean, Shaq in his prime. Good luck. I mean, he was he was 35 and 15 or whatever it was and. Yep. He was still running the floor, blocking shots and just being truly dominant. So, all of that to say, I know we went on a tangent there. Shout out to Reggie Miller, obviously a great. But he had a shot, more than one shot, to get it done. Didn't get it done, not a knock on him. But you at least got there. That has to matter for something, right, Jimmy? Like, getting there, at least, even Jimmy Butler. Like, we look at him, we might not say he won a championship ever in his career, but he got there and they had a shot, at least. Sure, but I mean, there's...
2: There's layers to it, right? Like the yeah. whole ring debate thing. Like I don't, I don't like. I think it's. Yeah,
0: I'm not gonna kill him for it, but b-
2: but I but I mean that it's more than just getting there. It, it's how did the rest of your career impact things? Like with Reggie Miller, and I know it's it's through, you know, with blinkers on because I grew up here in Indiana. But you also think is one of the greatest shooters of all time, like in some of the most clutch playoff performances in. in a playoff history like he is synonymous with moments like that it's more than just getting to the finals in the way that the league is viewed it is actually cashing in unless you have other intangibles like Reggie Miller did from a perspective of will you be remembered or not and just with like the double down by the trouble front office is great and I admire it and it's it's fine like you want to feel that way but these rumblings aren't going anywhere. Like there's already still tweets about how rumors uh, with the Miami trade of how this was earlier today, that Portland doesn't really like Tyler hero all that much. And those talks are still happening. Like this is post that double down of Dame and, uh, and us are, are, committed to trying to build a championship contender in Portland. I think ultimately a deal gets done where he shipped off somewhere. Miami's the most commonly used name for a lot of different reasons, but wherever he ends up, it's a perspective of at some point you need to realize both as a team and as a franchise that you're on two totally different paths and that's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow, but the future for Portland, much like the future after a handful of trades for the Pacers is Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin. The future for Portland is building around Scoot Henderson and seeing what you're able to do in this, in this next wave of Portland Trailblazer basketball If I'm Damian Lillard, I'm not saying I don't fully want to be a part of that, but it's just it's you've done enough. No one's gonna no sane person is going to criticize or go against Damian Lillard if it ends up he's shipped out of town.
0: No, nobody would. I mean, obviously you'll have your however many small percentage of fans who just don't realize that this is must be done. It's not something you want to do. You obviously want to win with a player like that but also you have to accept that if you move on from a star of that caliber you're never going to get that exact value in return you just hope to recoup as much as you can but you won't know if you won or lost the trade or if you got somebody who can you know carry the torch after him until you see but it does feel a little bit like um they drafted his replacement in a sense, well, I mean, and that's what
2: happens when you have a player you didn't that's, move the pick, right? You, you understood; they understand to some extent where they are as a franchise, and that's where to bring it back to the Pacers that you could potentially swoop in free agency and find a key piece and a key veteran at that. In Jeremy Grant, twenty-nine years old, had one of the best seasons statistically of his career. Again, I know it was in Portland, but he was a factor for the Trailblazers throughout the season throughout the time he's been there, which is why they obviously would like to retain him, but if the Damian Lillard move happens, or for the sake of argument, the Pacers are the team that acquires Jeremy Grant before a Damian Lillard move happens, that in theory would make the Trailblazers worse. I think you're going to get a lot of indications or at least hallmarkers for what's going to happen with Damian Lillard depending on what happens with a player like Jeremy Grant in free agency. Because they can play all they want to add, but you also can't get worse by losing your own. And you're not going to find a a clear answer, at least from this free agent's class, that can contribute as well as Grant could and also be able to obtain that whatever Portland views as a championship-level move.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're in a tough spot. And again, just being in the Indianapolis area, you feel a lot better about your future than they feel out west with theirs because of just how... Things have kind of gone. I if, mean,
2: if Damian Lillard's gone, if he leaves, this is not. I don't feel like this is a reach at all. And maybe you could say it even if he's there. The Patriots have a better chance, play in or playoffs, roster constructed right now, of making it than Portland does right now.
0: Yes, I mean, I feel like Portland would kill to have a guy like Miles Turner on their team. And so again, they're in a tough spot. It's a spot you don't want to be in where you're short of treading water. And honestly. That's what the Pacers had done for so long yes. until it finally caved and they were forced to rebuild, even though they didn't want to. I thought that, obviously, in hindsight, Kevin Pritchard did a great job Mm -hmm. um, breaking that team up, that core of Sabonis and Turner to flip that into Tyrese Halliburton, who we've seen take a leap and who I believe can be in that all-NBA conversation next year where he's one of the 15 best players in the league. We'll see, but... Again, you feel a lot better about your future here in Indianapolis than they do out in Portland. So we'll see what the Pacers do to continue to build that squad out. And I'm excited to see it because you can see the moves that make sense. For a while they you're trying to find your identity, you have sort of your identity with your point guard leading the way. You have Miles, who's still holding on the back end. You have Buddy Heald, who can shoot in his sleep. He's a wake-up shooter, as I say. Doesn't need to warm up. He just shoots well any time of the day, anywhere yeah. in the world. Um, and now you just want to see if you can continue to build those building blocks and see if you can get into the playoffs again and make some noise because I know that is a goal of theirs. It has to be, considering that, again, without the Tyree Taliburton injury last year, they might have had a chance to sneak in last year. And so you kind of get a blessing in disguise because you end up in the lottery. You get a player like Jairus Walker who can come in and immediately help your team. But now I think it's go time where they're they're looking at how can we add pieces like a Jeremy Grant, if it's not him, someone else, to this this squad to get us back into the playoffs and potentially you know go toe-to-toe to win a round. One
3: final thing here about the Jeremy Grant front. The reason why I'm a no on this is it's already out that he wants 30 mil a year. I'm not paying him thirty mil a year.
2: I mean, it would depend on the length of the contract. Like,
3: regardless, I'm not paying him (laughs) thirty mil a year.
2: Again, it would depend on the length of the contract. I don't think it would. Because uh, the reason I say that is because
3: you're telling me you're paying this man thirty mil a year to be your third score.
2: I mean, look, if you're looking for what this would do in my mind is it would pivot Jarius Walker's development as easing him in as a pro.
3: He, that's, not do, what I, that's not what I'm That's not what i saying.
2: Will you let me get, get there? Yeah. Like, that's what that move does. And you're looking at the other free agents that are on the market. Maybe Grant, who's your first choice to clarify this? Who's your first free agent of a power forward? Are you in Barnes camp? Are you in Kuzma camp? Or are you something
3: else? I, it I'm, one, I'm, I'm, looking I'm looking Barnes at other price points. I'm looking at Barnes or Kuzma. It doesn't matter to me. 1A, one one 1B. One one yeah. I'm fine with either.
2: Do you envision that being a similar price point to what Grant's rumored to, or do you think that's more economically friendly to the Pacers?
3: Oh, economic friendly for both okay. of those players.
2: So, well, from your perspective, then, if you're in the camp of I view Barnes and I view Kuzma as better options and you think you get them for cheaper than $30 million a year, then I get why you would push back on Jeremy Grant. I see it more for Barnes. I don't see it as much for Kuzma for the exact conversation we had with Dustin earlier in that. You need to sell or sweeten a deal for a player like Kuzma to where, and where he is age-wise. I could see $30 million a year, and that goes back to why I would be willing to pay Grant. That range is, it fills a, not only does it fill a need, but when I'm looking at what a contract could be, two, three-year deal long-term, I view it as the type of move that eases away the development of Walker right away, takes less pressure there, brings a veteran in, and it'd be a premium I might be willing to pay. I also throw in the years there because the rumblings are, the expectation is that Tyrese Halliburton is going to sign that designated rookie extension. That's going to be something that could be as high as, what, $220, $240 million. That might be off. It might be even higher than that. But but there's a lot of salary ramifications where – depending on how many years I'm paying an offer like that to Grant, I could stomach it more than
0: 30 a middle. four-year deal. And I'll say this, Eddie. I hear what you're saying, but NBA contracts are going up a lot. So like yeah. $30 million, it's a lot of money, but it, it isn't what it once was. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not, I'm not saying I would pay him $30 million. I don't think I would. By the way, he could get...
2: An extension with Portland for forty million dollars a year. So it also depends on what you're willing to, what you're trying to sell in your process. Exactly. But if I'm, Jer- if I'm Jeremy Grant and I get money? forty million to stay home or stay in Portland, I'm not saying I would do that, but I'm saying, hey, this is what I can get in Portland. What can you offer me here? And you need to meet him somewhere. Well, you. I'm not him. saying to spend blindly, but like, it just, you're right. So
3: you'd be willing to pay him thirty million dollars, which is more than Jaron Jackson Jr. and Andrew Wiggins.
0: Was it is still selling his rookie contract right now?
3: No. He's making twenty seven million.
2: I mean, I was never a fan of the Wiggins contract to begin with. I don't
3: I would I would And more I, than Sabonis.
2: How quick do you want this process to be fixed? How desperate are you to push this team a leap forward? That that's what it ultimately comes down to. I'm with you in the aspect that I don't know if he's my must have target, but the thought that thirty million dollars would be the starting price for a player like Jeremy Grant, if that's something you're surprised by, I hope it's not something the Pacers are surprised by because it could be a very quiet free agency for them on that front if that's not something thirty mil for
3: a guy who's twenty nine and you're I don't even think he would be your third score. He'd be your fourth option. Like it just makes no sense to me.
2: Again, in this market premiums are sometimes paid i'm not saying it's the right move but i'm saying if that's the type of pushback you're giving to a jeremy grant move you're not going to have a pleasant free agency for what regardless i just don't see
3: him as a 30 million a year player that's all it is really like i just don't what about 29.9 right exactly
2: that's what <laughs> okay. i was about to say 27 million is that I'm like just, like we're, we're you, this, you, you, you this, get this. into semantics on contract negotiations depending on where that middle ground is if he could get 40 in portland and he made 20 last year it is reasonable to think that he's going to command somewhere between 25 or 30 million on the open market. Whether the Pacers pay that or not is another story, but there's a difference between trying to be economically efficient and participating with the big boys at market value.
0: And, and one point I do want to make, and we've talked about this on the NFL side, and I, we'll get to break here soon, but real quick, I do want to point out that when it comes to wings, they're the premium position in the NBA. So sometimes you do, like a wide receiver in the NFL, you have to overpay because sure. of the position and what it means to the team. Now, personally, I probably wouldn't do it, but at the same time, I, I'm not in Kevin Pritchard's shoes, so I don't know exactly what like a value is for a sure. wing at his age. Sure. What do you mean to the team? All one, those things.
3: One final, final thing. That's more than Julius Randle... Jalen Brown, Jaron Jackson Jr., Mikael Bridges. Like, no.
0: Okay,
2: Eddie, if it's more than all those things, then the $30 million figure you threw out here to start this conversation is going to
3: happen. That's what he wants. That's says, claims but, but, the what he's going to get with Portland. Do you know where?
2: Like, where I'll, I'll that came find from? Okay, I'll find Okay, find it. that for me after the break so it's not just a number that we're throwing out from <laughs> NBA Central that we've had oh, 10 minutes Christ. discussing <laughs> over. That's Jay's boy, Eddie Garris, with us as well. I'm Jimmy Cook. We're behind on a break. We'll be back after this on The Fan. <laughs>
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: A fan Midday Show, where we debate the worth of NBA players left and right in free agency. We'll have more of those discussions in the last segment of the show. We went a little bit long discussing Jeremy Grant, Kyle Kuzma, and others. We'll pivot towards the NFL. A franchise tag is on the table for Saquon Barkley. Could potentially be on the table for Jonathan Taylor a year from now. How the running back market has changed over the years. What it's impacting, if at all, in New York and more with Charlotte Carroll. When we come back on the Fan Midday Show.
0: Still here in the DrivePeople.com studio. Vibing out, rocking out alongside Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook, who love each other. You got the boxing gloves over here. They're in the like back they're corner. like brothers. I love it. And you know me. I'm an instigator. I'm like, yeah, yeah, get him, Jimmy. Yeah, get him, Eddie. <laughs> so there's no loyalty from you in this studio. Oh no, I no. Respect no. That. I respect that. I am the honesty loyal about to. It. I told you yesterday. I'm loyal to the low road. Skip the high road. Um, obviously the big news of the NFL today is Isaiah Rodgers potentially missing the entire upcoming season, according to ESPN's Adam Scheffner. But there is other news here in Indianapolis, like the ongoing negotiations at running back with Jonathan Taylor and management. And so we have my buddy, my friend, and my former editor from college, Charlotte Carroll on the line, who covers the Giants for the Athletic. We'll talk to her about all things running back contracts and more. Charlotte, how you doing?
7: I'm good. It's nice to, to chat with you here. We're a, a long way away from our WPGU days back in
0: this. <laughs> this is true. Charlotte made sure that all of my work actually made sense when I turned it in. She did, takes no credit now, Jimmy, but she deserves a ton, honestly, being a great editor. And so it is really cool to kind of cross paths again in this space. So um, one thing I'll start off with, which I tease, was the contract negotiations. I know it's a little more contentious out there, I would imagine, Because of Saquon not wanting to sign the franchise tag, we're not quite there yet here in Indianapolis. But what has it been like just navigating that space and seeing where both sides are at and obviously not being able to meet in the middle so far?
7: Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been an interesting note to the offseason. I mean, for us going in, it was the main storylines were going to be Daniel Jones' contract and Saquon Barkley. And they were kind of interdependent on each other. One meant uh, the other was going to be the franchise tag. And we saw that happen with Daniel Jones working on a long-term deal, which meant Saquon Barkley got franchise tagged right at the deadline. And it's just kind of been... Uh, He'd been quiet up until a few weeks ago. We hadn't heard his side since he was, he was tagged, but he spoke to reporters for the first time. And you could he expressed frustration. Um, obviously, no one wants to be tagged. He's looking for a long-term stability and, and wants to be a giant for life. Um, but he expects frustration, too, with some leaks uh, from inside the organization. So we've got until July 17th, and, and we'll see what happens.
2: Charlotte, running backs have no say or power in this league. I mean, it's been proven time and time again over the last five or six years. Le'Veon Bell's the only one that's ever really tried to fight it. And a number of different reasons played into this, but he was never really the same player after he sat out that whole season. Uh, from Saquon's standpoint, and we forget that he's only 26 years old. It feels like he's been in the league forever. Uh, where where is, Where's a baseline of the legitimacy of him potentially holding out into the season?
7: Yeah, no, so he was asked about that at his, uh, his football camp a couple weeks ago, and he didn't kind of say one thing or the other, but he didn't rule it off the table. His big thing was that it was it's an option, but he hasn't put too much stake into it, and it's a, something he'll think about more once July 17th, which is the deadline to, to make a deal, rolls around. And if there's no deal, then that's something that him and his team want to think about. I can't personally see him sitting out the entire season. Um, I think maybe he'll like sit out of training camp a little bit to kind of just prove a point and show his displeasure with the tag situation. But he is a player who's the face of the New York franchise. He's image conscious. Uh, he's someone who kind of knows what he's doing in that regard. So I think that'd be a big hit for his image if he ended up sitting out some of the season. And leverage-wise, too, uh, there's not much going there once you, you've been tagged.
0: Yeah, that's one thing we've always talked about on this show, Charlotte, is how you're tied to your team in the NFL. It is very hard to have that leverage because they can tag you three times if they want to before (laughs) they let you go. And so to pivot away from him and look at the quarterback, who they did obviously um, extend and and sign to a big deal, what has been the vibe around Daniel Jones and potentially taking another step forward having had the breakout season he had last year?
7: Yeah. No, I mean, that was a, a controversial kind of decision around the league for him to come back on, on that money and, and that length of time. Uh, but he's made sense in New York. Everyone around and in the organization really loves him. Um, they say he's great. Uh, you see just his like work dedication. He's always kind of like the first one in the building. And I think a big thing this offseason was giving him more offensive pieces to work with. So we saw the, the Giants bringing Darren Waller star tight end um, not the that like star caliber wide receiver position but nonetheless something that they can work with and so I think it'll be exciting to kind of see the way that the offense is, is a little bit different one thing I'll be curious is how much running is Daniel Jones doing next season we saw him uh, as a dual threat last year and just kind of so I'm curious how that's going to be incorporated
2: when you look at the aspects of how running backs are valued in today's NFL, I see a lot of parallels, at least in terms of play style and just their ability to take over games when they're really on one, like Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley are, obviously Barkley having done it for a little bit longer, but Barkley not as notorious for the Austin Eckler, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, dominate as well in the, in the passing game also. When you look at those intangibles as running back and the fact that that's not really a part of Saquon Barkley at that level, how much of it is, oh, if he was a dual threat running back, maybe they'd be more willing to pay him? And how much of it is a combination of the price points aren't right, his injury history, and that's just what running backs are nowadays?
7: I think a lot of it's just the market in general. Um, and then, as you mentioned, too, with the number situation and, and the injury history is important to consider as well. Um, I don't think it's, it's fair necessarily about that, that dual threat idea. Obviously, it's something to consider. But I do think that the market just, like, showed what running backs are. And that's, a, that's hard for, for Saquon to come into this season or this offseason and kind of have to deal with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a unique position to me because he looked otherworldly last year and obviously had a big factor in them winning their first playoff game in quite some time so Charlotte when you look at the offseason moves aside from Saquon Barkley how do you think this team has tried to make sure they sustain what they did last year and make sure it's not a one-off
7: yeah so kind of as we we spoke about bringing Daniel Jones back that kind of set the foundation for me is what this offseason was going to be about once they made that decision that kind of what the rest of the offense is going to look like. They brought in Darren Waller. They brought in Paris Campbell and Bobby Okereke from from Indy. So two familiar faces for you guys. Um, but the offense is the key kind of that we've been talking about this spring is just more explosive, maybe more deep balls. We've seen that in, in OTAs. So I'll be curious to see that from the offense. And then just more stability, too, from injuries. Um, so Brian Dable, Joe Shane came in last year. They've done a lot of their own guys a lot of important injuries especially on defense um so just making sure that there's reliable options to turn to and they're not kind of piecing together week by week even though that worked out well last year um and they made the playoffs but uh to be a little bit more stable how's my guy
0: paris campbell the last time i saw him we were playing pickup basketball in westfield indiana and I did not ask him anything about bad football at all because I was like, I don't want to hear it, you don't want to hear it, let's just hoop, and uh, he was telling me he was going out to Arizona to train with Daniel Jones, and I mean, personally, I love talking to Paris because I feel like he's one of the best interviews on the team, very nice guy, so how is he fitting into what they are doing out there? One thing he did say before he left for Arizona, and obviously now he's in New York, um, was that he was excited about how Brian Dable would utilize him in the offense.
7: It's funny you say that and actually bring up the Arizona trip because we got to speak with him. I haven't really been able to talk with him one-on-one, but now I want to go play pickup basketball with him. <laughs> Get them buttons, <Bucky> Charlotte. <laughs> oh, my God. I, the last time I picked up a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with, with Perez, it's funny you say that because we, we were speaking to him a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned that he was a little nervous about the process of free agency. But that, like the day one that he ended up in New York, he was at ease, and he talked about that Arizona trip and how that really helped him kind of get to know the guys a little bit. He kind of had a was able to spark a bit of a connection with Daniel Jones, and you're already seeing that in OTAs. He got a lot of of targets from Jones. We've seen him kind of work into a way where he, he's getting targeted a lot. He's making catches, and there looks like there's a path for him to that really play some meaningful minutes next year.
2: <laughs> what do you think's the most likely play out with Saquon's contract negotiations? Do you think it's ultimately that the sides are able to come together and get an extension? I know that he's pushed back on the reports that, you know, the offers that were allegedly taking place at different points throughout last season and, and so far this offseason. Do you think there's still an agreeable pathway for a long term or multi-year extension to be done before that deadline here in a couple of weeks or is from Giants camp, this basically being, there's the tag, you make the decision if you're playing for us or not next year?
7: I mean, I think there's still, that's the hope, and I think that would be the best outcome for all parties. Obviously, money, we don't know what the guarantees, that's kind of the big question mark, is like, what are the, the guaranteed money in, in these numbers that we're seeing reported? Um, Saquon kind of declined to, to go into details on that, but that would be the hope. I mean, not only just for for Saquon of, of wanting that long-term deal, that stability, Um, but also what that looks like in the locker room, too. I mean, he's a vet guy, very well-respected. So what would that kind of look like if he comes into camp on the tag still and, and doesn't report, and how does that impact the rest of the locker room? So I think there's hope that they still get a deal done. That was when we spoke with Saquon a few weeks ago. His big thing was that they had until July 17th. So I think, as we saw with the Daniel Jones negotiations, which went right down to the deadline, I think that's going to be one of those, uh, it's kind of going to be the same situation that they're going to be working until the last possible minute.
0: Charlotte, we've talked about this on a personal level, but how has been your transition to the NFL and the world of franchise tags and the never-ending cycle of news? Because I am living it right now, and we both made kind of that transition at the same time. So how is it in New York, in, in New Jersey?
7: It's been crazy. So I was covering college basketball before this, so it's been very different kind of going from that world to this one, but it's been really fun. I, I think you've talked about the relationship you've, we were able to develop with Ferris Campbell, and that's been one of the, the best things that I've enjoyed about this. I mean, obviously, the never-ending news, news cycle and just kind of getting to learn how this all works has been crazy, but I've really enjoyed, like, you go into the locker room, you get to see these guys on a daily basis, you just are able to kind of have conversations, not even about football. Um, so I've really enjoyed that transition from the college game and, and being able to kind of have those conversations with people so it's, it's been a lot learning everything and <laughs> the Saquon Barkley deadline fall right in the middle of summer vacation when the rest of the NFL world is off I <laughs> I know uh New York media is probably not too happy about that but it's been really a, a good time
2: Charlotte Carroll with us covers the New York Giants for the athletic Charlotte a little earlier today Adam Schefter had reported that Isaiah Rogers, the Indianapolis Colts, is suspected to have a season-long suspension due to the allegations with gambling. He also mentioned that a handful of other NFL players are likely to receive season-long suspensions. Uh, From from your vantage point, again, this isn't saying that it's going to be somebody from the Giants or somebody on the East Coast that is going to be a part of these handful of other players. But on your beat in New York, when you see a tweet like that, that has vague aspects of it, it, how how does your day or your process with this change, knowing that that there's an unknown number of NFL players and their identities at this point are unknown that could face season long suspensions as well?
7: I think, like any good reporter, you you kind of ask questions and you're on high alert. We got a message from our editor kind of being like, okay, this is happening, you know, just be aware. And as as we mentioned, this is kind of the slow period uh, for the NFL, but I guess there's. there's It ain't slow slow for me. (laughs) 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 James, I don't think you've had. Have you had a moment to breathe? No,
0: (laughs) no. I have literally been uh, just gasping for air as as soon as I joined this team, but go ahead,
7: continue. (laughs) No, oh, no, sorry. I don't mean to turn the questions on you. Um, yeah, no, you, just, you put the ears up a little bit and kind of pay attention. And I don't, I think that's the case no matter what the story is.
2: James, I- any truth to the rumor you were going to go out to summer league and cover the Pacers too? Just to, you, just you're, you're, you don't want any days off. you to just keep keep rolling right or wrong. No, you
0: know what's funny is I, I'm actually supposed to get some time off this upcoming week, but. And I was to tell, explaining this to, uh, you know, Jimmy, Charlotte, that we don't really have off days. Like, we can be off. It can be schedules to be off. But me and my editor already had the conversation, like, if something big happens and I'm on vacation, I will cut that vacation short and we'll figure out the days off, you know, in, in the future. But <laughs> getting back to what we're talking about when it comes to gambling, I am curious because we've talked about it with our people here in, in Indianapolis when it comes to the, the coaches and, and personnel and things like that. Um, has the, Have the Giants – put a more emphasis and more onus on the gambling rules, just to make sure people know what to do and what not to do?
7: That's a good question. That's not something I've looked into completely. Um, so that is something that I will add to my list to kind of look into a little bit, actually, um, and how that's changing around the league, not just with the Giants, but I would imagine the Colts and the Lions will be making a lot of changes, um, but definitely these other teams as well.
0: Yeah, I thought it was fascinating when we were talking to – the uh, NFL reps last week on the Zoom call about the gambling policy and just how intricate their, you know, basically their spying is. I mean, they know where you are. They know when you make bets on your phones, they get alerted of all these things. They know where your phone is when you do these things, which is why they were able to track some of these things. So that was fascinating to me Charlotte and I was like whoa like it felt like big brother um on steroids so to speak but obviously I would want you to cover more positive things so you look at the outlook for this season the pieces that are in place the pieces that they added um with the Giants and in the division they're in obviously it's not going to be an easy one um how do you feel about at least not maybe not you but just covering the team how do they feel about their chances to um, you know, get of the crack at making another run and then obviously going a step further because that's always the goal in this league. And I feel like it's always hard. I feel like it's harder in the NFL to sustain any sort of excellence because of the parity of the league and just how finicky it can be with injuries and availability and just any given Sunday, literally.
7: Yeah, no, I mean, Brian Dable is kind of famous about just like, oh, that was yesterday, that was last game, doesn't matter. When we were out in in Arizona for the owners' meetings, he was pretty – he brought it up, you know, the thrashing that they had um, in the Eagles game and kind of just like, you know, that was what stuck out in his mind versus, you know, the, the playoff success and then all this other stuff. Obviously, that's very important for the franchise and stuff, but that still was how they ended the season, so there's a lot of room to grow that gap you mentioned, especially NFC East, that gap between Philadelphia and New York um, is is still very large. So there's a lot of of room to improve on that. But when it comes to this season, I don't know. I'm kind of of the opinion it can kind of go either way. They've got a really tough schedule. So not only just with NFC East opponents, but just the rest of the league in general um, and opening against Dallas uh, in in the season opener. So that should be interesting. But they've added these pieces i i think the defense i'm excited to see the changes especially with with bobby inside linebacker how the run game defense improves, i think will be fun to watch but um yeah i think it could go either way i'm very bad at like hot takes i don't like hot takes that's like don't do that one don't do <laughs> <I hate> hot, <laughs> uh you know that's not really a hot take of predicting the season but it's it just feels still kind of early with not getting like training, like having not seen stuff in training camp and like pads on and things like that.
0: No, I totally agree. I will say this though we saw tangible improvement from Daniel Jones last season. So maybe not so much this offseason because I mean, how much can you take away from OTAs, minicamp, things like that? But what did you see from him last season as far as just taking a step forward in that dual threat capability? Because when I look at him, and we realize here in Indianapolis who the Colts drafted with Anthony Richardson, I think they would love to see someone follow a similar trajectory where you're seeing at least flashes of how dynamic a player who can do both run and throw can be and and how that can, you know, put some pressure on opposing defenses.
7: Yeah. So for me, it was interesting to come in. I mean, I I would imagine for you too, just like not knowing really anything about the system. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know about Dan Jones before I got here. Um, so like doing the research and kind of looking at that and knowing he, he's always had that ability, but to see it like really on display and, and to watch throughout the season, he just, he looked in command in a way. I mean, again, haven't having not watched like his rookie years and things like that, but him and Saquon really handled things that first part of the year. And then as the season went on and then even though like mix of wide receivers and, and that whole like situation with injuries, um, as he got a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more confident in the pocket, like taking some more throws in, in certain situations and just the decisiveness, too, in his decision-making, I think was, for me, the biggest takeaway of watching him. He just looked like he was comfortable and, and confident in making the decision whether to run a throw, which talking to people, I think he's always had that, but it just has grown more and more, and you could kind of see it last year.
2: New York Giants beat writer for The Athletic, Charlotte Carroll, with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Charlotte, last thing on my end, if they can't get a contract ironed out for Saquon Barkley, and let's say it's a bit of a grumbling period, but he ends up signing the tag, what can other teams like the Colts learn from the way these these communications among players and organizations, particularly at running back, can have varying degrees of success, have varying degrees of conversation breakdowns. And is there a a playbook or a pathway to make this less messy? Or is it destined at this position now that there's going to be contention, there's going to be pouting and frustration, but ultimately it's too dangerous both from a legacy standpoint and from a career standpoint to sit out when the tag is presented to you?
7: I don't know. I think it's hard to kind of say what that means for the rest of the league and other players because I think every player in every, every situation is different. Um, I think the emphasis on, on the trust is, is there. And had talked about, you kind of know that family business. Um, so just making sure that's in place. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's For me, it's hard to predict what that would mean for others, and especially the market as a whole. I mean, maybe five years from now, Market running backs are, are back uh, <laughs> where they want to be. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Things change so much in the world. Um, so it, it's kind of hard for me to make a prediction that way around. But I think definitely people are taking notes. And it, that's been the topic, too, of like how are, are these other players kind of those negotiations, excuse me, negotiations kind of impacting maybe the fake one stuff, these guys getting tagged. So I think there's ripple effects there and there's comps. Um, but at the end of the day, everyone's different.
0: Charlotte, last one from me before we get you up out of here. It's not really a football question. It is a life question. I've looked up to you. You've been my editor. You've been fantastic. What advice would you give to young women who want to be in this space and want to be around athletics and cover it at the highest level as you are doing right now, just given what you had to go through to get here and maybe some of the, uh, stereotypes that you've had to get around to be in that space and show that you obviously um, belong in that space
7: oh james thank you. you're gonna make me cry on a... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really cool i mean just a quick aside it's really been fun to watch you grow and, and your rapid growth and and to see us both end up here been really fun. I loved getting to run into you at the, the Colts Giants game, though, awesome off season stuff. So it's really fun for me, selfishly. Um, but on your question, I don't know. Um, I try to just do my job and, and not think about that too much. That differentiates. And I think the best advice, no matter honestly whether it's in journalism or, or any other job, is just show up constantly. If you're, if you're there, if you're going to things, they, they know you're coming. They know you're there. They know you're trying to do your, your best job. Um, so whether that's journalism or anything else, um, just show up and, and be a nice person. <laughs> be kind.
0: That usually works. I appreciate you, Charlotte. We'll catch up soon. And um, you take care in New York. And uh, hopefully the air quality is a little bit better there than it is here. But we'll talk soon.
7: I hope so. It's good right now, but we've had talks that's coming our way, so we shall see. But thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. And ILL. There we go. I and I. First time I got one of those on the air. Again, that is Charlotte Carroll,
0: my fellow Illini alum, covering the Colts. I'm sorry, not covering the Colts, covering the Giants for the Athletic. um, Was covering the Colts with me uh, during that Giants-Colts game earlier this year where we had a joint byline for the first time, Jimmy, and it was pretty cool because, again, you don't realize during college that your college editor is one day going to be covering an NFL game with you sure. at the same time. So that was a really cool full circle moment. But as she pointed out, though, I think it is um, very telling to see what happens with Saquon. And if he is willing to – I mean, I, I feel like he's going to have to sign a tag, right? I it's mean, fu- It's futile.
2: Look, I, I hate to be bleak about it. I do. But it's it's a lost yeah, cause. I'm
0: trying to like make it like, man, but I'm just looking at it from all angles, Jimmy, and I'm like – you can't say no to that kind of money and, and do the Le'Veon Bell thing and not make any money while you try to sit yeah. out. Like I just don't – and then not to be – as a competitor, I get it. From a money standpoint, he wants his money. The one thing that is really good about – I believe uh, franchise tags, are, you're guaranteed the money when you get franchise tagged which is a positive. But from a competitive standpoint, don't you think Saquon wants to be a part of this? Even if it isn't at the rate he wants it to be at as far as money – it's hard for me to see him sitting out and not playing for that team, which seems to be moving in the right direction.
2: Yeah, look, he's not going to sit out for all the reasons you outlined. But if it is true, and he's pushed back on this, if it's true that the average yearly salary of a three-year deal or whatever it was going to be they offered, if it was anywhere between the 12 and $13 million range, then that puts you instantly as the third highest paid running back year over year yearly salary in the NFL puts you behind Christian McCaffrey and puts you behind Alvin Kamara. And it just, it, it changes everything that I don't know that that to me is a win. If I am Saquon Barkley, because with his, how he plays and you factor the injuries history in there as well, you're not seeing a market reset offer for him. You're not seeing a highest paid running back of all time for him. It's not going to happen in New York. And I don't know that it would happen if he hit open market free agency, so, he ha- he he does. He has no choice. It stinks. It's a bleak aspect. But yeah, you sign the tag and you play it out. Le'Veon Bell tried that. It got him nowhere. It did nothing to change the league whatsoever. There were no big meetings that happened in the offseason of no, 2018. And he wasn't the said, same player when no, he came back. No, he wasn't. And, and it's just... It would be different if he did all that and it led to change. Yeah. Didn't lead to anything. There was no passing thought of, hey, you know what? Maybe we should change this a little bit and help the players out more. Didn't happen.
3: He actually made it worse. Yeah. Because of that. You mean you take that year off because you don't want to play under the tag and then you come back and you play like doo-doo? Yeah.
2: I mean, it just it's it's too big of a, a risk at this stage of his career to do it. And even then, it just doesn't end well. I just hope for his sake that the, it's not true that he had opportunities for twelve and thirteen million dollars a year over, let's say, a three or four year period. And he turned it down because that's that that's a fair value for running backs in today's NFL. Even somebody as talented as Saquon Barkley,
3: what thirty million a year? Thirty million a year. <laughs> I mean, look. I'm oh, sorry, 30-plus. 30 30-plus 30 <laughs> million. <laughs> what again. were we
0: talking about again? Jeremy uh, Grant yeah, I'm or sorry, or we're talking about NFL Saquon or NBA. <laughs> I'm confused. I just want
2: to make sure that I'm on,
0: on the right way. We will not bully you anymore, Jimmy. Uh, At least okay. I won't. That's okay. Which might be a lie, fingers crossed. But in all seriousness, I do think she made a great point about Saquon. He'll, he'll be there. Disgruntled or not, he'll be there. But real quick, I wanted to just point out that what she said about Daniel Jones looking in command and kind of taking a step forward... It's not going to happen in one year for Anthony Richardson, but I do think that the offensive-minded coach that is Brian Dable here, Shane Sykin, could help kind of massage those things out so we could see at least signs of Anthony Richardson being sort of that dual-threat quarterback that Indy has never had. They've had great quarterbacks and never had one who could do the things he can do physically. That's
2: James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is with us as well. Still to come, we'll – bring us back local with Isaiah Rogers and the impending season long suspension that Adam Schefter outlined earlier this afternoon. George Bremer will stop by when we return to give us clarity on that. And we'll dive in, of course, a little bit to ongoing negotiations or likelihood of an extension for one Jonathan Taylor with George Bremer, We come back on the fan midday show.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: Still here on the Midday Show here in the drivehula.com studio. I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook or James Cook as we were discussing off air. Hey.
2: <laughs> real formal. can not confuse people real quick. <laughs> two James, James and James. Spot. Yep.
0: And we have, obviously, Eddie Garrison holding things down, doing all the important things behind the scenes for us. We also have George Brimmer on the line, who covers the Colts alongside me and others. He does it for the Herald Bulletin in Anderson, Indiana. Also covers preps, which I will always say to those out there who are in the Indianapolis area in the Indiana area, anywhere in the country, support local journalism, support your preps teams out there, people like George, who tell the stories of all the kids in our neighborhoods. George, how you doing, my man? doing well how are you doing I'm doing good I did have a slight uh, meltdown when the news came out about Isaiah Rogers I've never seen somebody grow a backpack that fast in my Yeah, my and, and you know what <laughs> J- Jimmy knows this George and Eddie knows this as well I bring my backpack in here every time I come on the air and I rarely ever open my backpack yep. it usually just stays there but I had to break the glass for the emergency it's like when you break the thing to get <laughs> yep. the fire extinguisher sure. that's kind of what I was doing um, so I guess we'll start there, George. What was your reaction to the news? How did your day maybe get shifted with Isaiah Rodgers now, according to Adam Scheffner, potentially being out for an entire season, and not just him, but potentially even more players?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, kind of knew something was coming. I'm, I'm kind of glad that it that it's breaking this week and, and not next week when I'm, va- on, I'm on vacation. Oh, in the same so. boat. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that was my first reaction was, hey. Good now, you know, better now than later. Um, In a way, it feels – it sounds weird, but it almost feels like best-case scenario for him. And when you hear the details – and we'll get more after this suspension is announced. I think that's going to be really interesting, too. The league has said they're going to be really upfront and really open with the details on these cases. Uh, So hopefully they deliver on that because we really don't know what he did. So we know the general – outline of it but we don't know the specifics uh but when you heard you know that those initial reports a year really seemed like probably the the least he might get so if that's how this turns out um it might be in the better range for him
2: George at face value and that's that you walked right into my next question it would seem like if we're reading Adam Schefter's tweet word for word and and we're not trying to go too far with it but just look at what he said at face value that would lead me to think that it's no longer as dark as oh well he bet on the Colts but not only he bet on the Colts he bet against them or bet in in a way that would involve the integrity of the game being compromised was that your similar reaction that all things considered not for the Colts but for Isaiah Rogers if it's just a season-long suspension based on what it was speculated it could have been doesn't condone what he did but I mean not not a bad outcome, all things considered.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it does seem like maybe some of the worst possible uh, outcomes of what he did maybe weren't there. I mean, it, that that was the thing all along. We had such a, a thin amount of details, you know, early on. It, well, he bet on games. Some of them involved the Colts. You know, we didn't know exactly what was going on. Did he play in the games that he bet on? The Colts were involved in. You know, that's part of this too. Because I think, If I remember correctly, I think Calvin Ridley did have the Falcons involved in in one of his uh, parlays, but he was hurt and he wasn't on the field. So, you know, all these details we need to find out. Uh, But I think the thought process all along was if he bet on the Colts and he bet against the Colts and he was playing in that game, uh, it could have been a lot worse than a year.
0: Yeah, I, I, I had the same initial reaction when it came to the news. Honestly... And again, we have to wait for the official word to give our full analysis of it. But if it is what we think it is, and it's just a year-long suspension, then you have to go through the reinstatement process and hope that the league has some leniency with you or has some, um, not leniency, but has some mercy on you, that's totally different than being banned for life and being sort of like just a new precedent for the gambling policy. But when it comes to um, Isaiah in particular, we all knew this was coming, George, as far as him potentially being out for a significant amount of time. However, do you think that this is the end or the last that we've seen of Isaiah Rogers in a Colt's uniform?
1: I think that's one of those things we kinda have to wait for the details on. You know, we really gotta find out what did he actually do and you know, how is that going to be viewed by the organization? I I think betting on the team is something they're gonna take really seriously, obviously. Uh, but you know how did that play out? Again, were they prop bets? Was it was he betting on whether Michael Pittman would score in Week 17 or get 100 catches? Or you know, there's there's levels of this that I think we need to find out what exactly happened, uh, and then I think the team's got to sit down with him and, and find out why he did this. You know what what was the motivation behind it, and what confidence do they have that? they're not going to have something similar moving forward. I think these are all the same questions any employer would would ask. I think, you know, just can you correct this behavior? Is it something that that you're going to have to deal with again? Uh, I think all those have to come into play. I I think it's highly unlikely he's going to play again on the contract he currently has, which his biggest payment of his career was coming this year. I think that's the big thing, you know, from Isaiah Rogers' standpoint. Not only are you missing – a chance to be a full-time starter for the first time, probably a good one when you look at the roster, and a chance to really set yourself up for free agency, uh, you're probably going to miss out on what would have been the biggest payday of, of your career. And whether it's here or somewhere else, you're almost starting from scratch now. You know, Whatever deal he gets now is going to be almost like a rookie deal all over again because whoever it is, whether it's the Colts with the second chance or it's a new team, they're gonna they're gonna want you make you prove this again from from square one. Um, in some ways, it's kind of heartbreaking for him. It's an avoidable mistake, so you take that into to account. You know, it's something that definitely was was in his court, uh, but the timing of this could not be much worse for for his career.
2: James, I just realized it removes the. Uh, bit we were doing where he live bet the Vikings at half. That's now off the table, I would think, from the uh, from, from the season-long uh, suspension. I'll, moving away from, from jokes aside, that, that was more just for James than it was for you, George. George Bremer with us. Covers the Colts and his sports editor as well for the Herald Bulletin. How swift, as James asked you regarding what they do with Isaiah Rodgers, how swift on the Colts end do you think this happens once the league makes their official announcement later this week?
1: I think a lot of that depends on how much of this groundwork they've already done. You would think that they've already talked with them, you know, had a lot of those conversations that I've already talked about. So you know, if they're going to part ways with them, I would imagine that happens relatively quickly. It did on the Lions side. Uh, the two guys that they released after they were suspended pretty much came down either the day that the suspension was announced or like the next day. Um, So I think, you know, from Rogers' standpoint, probably the longer it goes without any word like that from Indianapolis, probably the better it is in in his case.
0: Yeah, I think, George, when we look at the situation, we have to sort of wait for the league to say something because... I mean, the players gave us a little bit of reaction to it. You know, we talked to Kenny Moore. He said he had spoken to Isaiah Rodgers. was kind of just keep trying to keep his spirits high. But Shane Steichen obviously wouldn't touch it, wouldn't go near it, wouldn't confirm anything, wouldn't deny anything. It was just sort of this thing that kind of hung over the team for a little while. But when we look at what is going on as far as potentially having more players, the thing that I would like to know is we hear other players, could that mean other players on the Colts? I mean, because they're not – I mean, it, I'm not saying that it is or it isn't. I'm just curious because other players – I mean, other players anywhere in the NFL. And so you wonder if if Isaiah, again, alleged until we get it confirmed via the NFL, but if he allegedly bet this many team t- times on the team or had this many bets going, how could someone else maybe not know on the team or potentially not be involved? So I'm curious to see – if that's a factor as well. Um, but to pivot away from him in particular, George, would you just stay young at cornerback considering he's going to miss time, or would you try to go out and get a veteran?
1: That's a really I think that's the million-dollar question right now um, because that whole secondary room is, is really young right now. I think Kenny Moore is pretty much the the most vested guy either at corner or safety uh on the roster you know after Gilmore and and Rodney McLeod are gone it's an incredibly young group I think there's definitely a case to be made to bring somebody in sort of like a Brashad Perryman type of guy on the defensive side uh who's been there who's kind of seen it all who can if nothing else uh in training camp just work with these guys and kind of teach them what it's like to be a pro um but at the same time, I, I think the opposite side of that argument is this is as much as I was talking about it being high, heartbreaking, you know, for Rodgers at this point, in his career, It's a great opportunity for Dallas flowers. It's a great opportunity for the three rookies they just drafted uh, guys like Daryl Baker, who, you know, still trying to find their way in this league who are on the roster. Maybe even Tony Brown works his way into this. Uh, he's one of the veteran guys now as well in like year three or four. Uh, I personally would probably go try to bring in a veteran just because it is such a young group, but I can see the argument of let these young guys find their way, let them battle this out, and you know give two of them a really good opportunity this year to start and, and find their way in this league.
2: George, when you look at the Colts roster going into training camp and you examine areas where they'd like to see internal improvement how imperative is growth and, and ascension to really becoming a true tight end number one this season. Is it for somebody like Jelani woods?
1: I think that's huge. And when you look at the Eagles offense, uh, which they're obviously running and what Shane Sykin did over there and you look at Dallas Goddard and his impact, I don't see anybody else on the roster right now who can really fill that role aside from Jelani Woods. There's other guys that do things well, but I don't think they they do that role the way that Woods potentially could. Uh, And then the safety blanket aspect for your rookie quarterback. If you've got a huge target like Woods in the middle of the field and he's consistent, uh, it, it could be... It could mean the world to Anthony Richardson. You're trying to figure out what to do. You're under pressure. The play's breaking down. You know you've got a mismatch like Jelani Woods out there. It can really, I think, help his growth, help this offense in general. As I look at the offense, probably the two guys I think need to to really step forward the most this year to help them get to where they want to be as an offense are Woods and Alec Pierce on the outside as a deep threat. You can get Woods to sort of be that third down guy and the red zone guy and the security blanket, for lack of a better term, for for Richardson, and then you can get Pierce to take the top off of defenses, I think those are probably the two most important elements aside from Richardson that the offense could get this year.
0: George, obviously training camp brings out a lot of people every year. It's always an exciting time around not only Indianapolis but the NFL, but how different do you think the vibe will be In Westfield, considering that you have a rookie quarterback in there and you're hoping that he can become the new face of the franchise and obviously someone who can be here for a decade plus.
1: I think it's there's a different energy. I think we felt it already, you know, just around the the building with the team and 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 the players and you know, everybody who you kind of come in contact with down there. It's fresh start. You know, you got a, a new head coach, you got a rookie quarterback, there's a lot of young guys on the on the field. I think that's going to transfer to the stands pretty quickly. I, I think there's some apprehension because, you know, you don't know what to expect. You don't know how things are going to turn out. Uh but at the same time, I think there's a little bit of excitement. The way the last two years ended, to have a more or less a clean slate coming in here this year. I think it's something the fans will embrace at least early on training camp time. Uh, and I think you know there's going to be a lot of curiosity to get out there, see what Anthony Richardson looks like, see what this offense looks like, see what some of these young defensive backs look like. Uh, it's been a long time since I can remember a training camp with this much uncertainty. And I think a lot of times that plays in the team's favor because the fan base wants to get out there and see for themselves.
0: I mean, that's until Anthony Richardson makes his first throw, and if it's completion, he's the greatest quarterback ever. If it's any completion, <laughs> should have never drafted this guy. You know how it goes, George. When we track those throws in the 11-on-11 11 11 and tweet those out, God bless our mentions because they're going to be on fire. <laughs> but um, I'll let you get out of here. Thank you so much for coming on. I know I hit you up last minute today, but you're always clutch, so I appreciate the time. Thanks, George.
2: No, no problem,
0: guys. Anytime. All right, again, that was George Bremer, covers the Colts for the Herald Bulletin in Andersonville. Um, I'm sorry, not Andersonville, Anderson, Indiana. He's a great guy, great person. Obviously, going to be a lot of fun when we get out there. But like him, I'm looking forward to vacation. So I am selfishly kind of glad that the Isaiah Rodgers news sort of broke. Sure. And then we should hear more about it because, again, whenever there is a leak, the news usually follows at the most two business days I would say Sure, I would definitely expect by Friday afternoon and if you're the NFL and you're listening do not do this to me put this out tomorrow so I can enjoy my Friday um, because I know news dumps usually come when they're not positive. Sure. Friday afternoons, Jimmy, you know this.
2: Yeah, yep. Yeah. you try to hide it behind the weekend and hope that it gets gets lost within that three-day break. But hey, I mean, it's good news for you. And again, as long as Jonathan Taylor's contract extension doesn't happen next week, you'll be good. That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison <laughs> with us as well. We'll hand out some bets, revisit some NBA free agency, and close us out here on the Fan Midday Show when we return.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: Final time on a Wednesday here on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie sit along for the ride as well. We'll get in more with Isaiah Rodgers as well as NBA free agency, a bit to close the show. But first got a little bit of money. We're going to try to make time for some bets. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me.
1: All right. I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win.
2: Today's plays of the day. First in the CONCACAF Gold Cup, group play continues for the U.S. men's national team. We're going to take over three and a half goals tonight against St. Kitts and Nevis. That'll take place at 930 in CONCACAF Gold Cup group play. Switching to baseball, we're going to take the San Diego Padres on the money line over the Pittsburgh Pirates. Laying some heavy juice as well on the New York Yankees to bounce back tonight against the Oakland Athletics. And closing up shop, Reds will make it two in a row Get him on the money line tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. One and two yesterday. Five hundred for the week. Eddie, any bets to this point for you?
3: I went zero and one yesterday. Uh, neither team really could. Hit offensively in that Reds game yesterday. Um, I'm going over nine and a half. I'm going back to this. Luke Weaver is not a good pitcher, and Kyle Gibson is just slightly better than that. Uh, he's just below average. Greenfield, Indiana native Kyle Gibson on the mound for the Baltimore Orioles. Like over nine and a half, I think these two offenses are looking to explode today in Baltimore. I don't think there's any rain in the forecast to delay this one. I will take the San Francisco Giants on the money line. I'll take that at plus 100. I really like Logan Webb on the mound. Against the Toronto Blue Jays, he's been sensational in this last oh month or so on the mound and then uh yeah, that's all I got
0: tonight. James, anything from you i want take I want take a look at the over under twenty nine and a half for Jeremy Grant yearly salary <laughs> in the NBA. Okay. I had to do it. Um, I had to do it, Jimmy. I'm sorry. That's alright. Man, you had your phone out. I was like, oh, he's got a bet tonight. Nah, nah, I saw nah, him tweeting nah, about
2: Showy nah, nah, Otani dinner nah, nah. night. Perhaps he's he's jumped on that bandwagon and there was going to be some Otani prop. This, but no, it wasn't. It was not that. No, it was not that. Was
0: was there an announcement to be had?
2: Because the way you had the phone. No, I no. Was... I
0: was looking at my phone. My okay. mom's texting me about right. she bought me an end table and I'm like why would you get an end table that was shipped <laughs> to your house in Romeoville and I live in the Indiana, I'll have to pick it up, uh, supposedly, I guess, this summer at some point. But anyways, I'll send it off to you <laughs> for some more sports-related things in exactly. my life.
3: Jimmy, let me ask you this real quick. Sure, You're please. talking about Shohei Otani. Yes. On FanDuel right now, he has minus 1450 to win the MVP. Any other player to win the AL MVP is plus 700.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't take that. I would not take the plus 700. Really? We, we are at a point where, barring injury from him... The, look, the, the Aaron Judge thing, and again, I know that you and I'm not trying to fully end the day with you and me going fist to cuffs. Aaron Judge earned that MVP last year. I agree. Like, like, but 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 at the time, you you were a little pushbacky towards me about it. Perhaps you were just digging the Yankee knife. I don't know. Yep. But the argument that could be made about Shohei Otani being deserving of it every year is true and it's, accurate. And he's backing it up once again this year. I don't see any way. Just the, the, It's a media-driven vote. The way he is being covered, rightfully so, because of how talented he is, there's no sign right now for me of him not winning the MVP, if you were to ask me where I wanted to go with that bet.
0: It's like the LeBron years when he was at his peak where you could make the argument every single year that he's MVP. I mean, the stuff that he is doing, and again, I'm a casual sure, fan of baseball. to don't really watch until the playoffs, but looking at my timeline last night, I'm like, wait a second, what? 10 <laughs> Ks? <10Ks? laughs> Two home runs? Like, what are we doing? Is this some video game, or is this real life? And so, he's an incredible talent, someone who I think is obviously great for the sport, and, I, and then bringing in people like me who aren't always into it but to see that performance and just to see him do it literally every other night something you haven't seen before ever is crazy to me so he's in that Go conversation as far as I'm concerned.
2: We won't talk to you until next week, so I guess on the front end, have a great Fourth of July weekend, we'll, we'll see you on the back end of next week. But Thank that you. also means that Thank NBA you. Free Agency is going to be in full effect at that point. Uh, to leave this as as civil as possible, roughly 30 <laughs> to $32 million, depending on where you look for the Pacers of available cap space. Does that all get spent on
0: one player? No, I don't think so. In all seriousness, I think that Harrison Barnes should be a target and maybe someone else in addition to him. I think that he's the most realistic fit-wise and also player-wise. And
2: from a standpoint of if it's a guy like Kyle Kuzma and he's wanting
0: market-resetting money, are you willing to break the bank for your boy? Well, you ask him on my boy Kyle Kuzma. I got to say, yeah, man, because he needs money for his wardrobe. So, I mean, you can't ask me that. You you set me up. You set me
2: up. I just I just wanted to want to make sure you were still loyal to to, <laughs> to 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 such a side hustle there with Miles Turner and Kyle Kuzma. Yes. I am special thank yous across <laughs> the board to Connor Latorno, Dustin Apirak, Charlotte Carroll, and George Bremer podcast will be up. Just go to one oh seven five thefancom or you can search the Fan Midday Show wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back in tomorrow. It'll be Greg Rakestraw Manning the Big Chair, and then myself and Brian know on Friday. More Isaiah Rogers reaction after this. It's the ride with JMV. Keep it right here on the fan.